So when you tell me that I'm going, I'm going to talk again for another second because it does take some time to get going. But hey, Internet, he is risen. You are paid for. He won't be long now. You're immortal. The water seals it. The food feeds it. That's Christianity. And you found the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. We start late, but that's because it's the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. Stick around. Hey, Internet. <laughs> so we are. Wait, wait. Uh, I have I have lost everything I intended to say. How about this? Clarity. Let's work on that. Hey, Internet. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and this is not a joke. This is not a game. This is not a philosophy. This is not an idea. This is not a theory. This is history, and history is what actually happened, not what they tell you happened. So so here's the thing, right? Death no longer contains mankind. Sheol, the grave, that thing into which we all put the remains of the people who we love or hate, because if we don't, they end up decaying and stinking and causing a bunch of illness and things in our midst. They will be coming back, every single one of them. And this is entirely because he is risen, because the king of all mankind descended according to prophecy foretold by seers in ages past has in fact achieved what he was going to achieve, which is crushing the head of the serpent, destroying the tongue, the lies of the deceiver the angel of light who has become fire, darkness, smoke, and all that kind of stuff, right? That's flipped upside side down our whole creation in his attempt to become God and to dethrone God. Well, he has been put down. His sting has been removed from mankind, although we still feel that sting in our flesh in these gray and lighter days. But this is what you're here to hear this morning, right? Because on Saturday morning cartoons, they're going to tell you about having fun with friends. They're going to tell you about overcoming stuff. And then they're going to tell you to do what you're told. And you're just going to have to sit there and do whatever the TV tells you to do. And when the channel changes or when they say, we don't like this show anymore and you're wrong for liking it, well, there you go off that married Pipe Piper lane. You're sick of that, right? You're tired of being led by the nose. You would like a spirituality which stays consistent. You would like a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And again, this is just who Jesus Christ is. I'm not here to give you a sales pitch. I'm here to tell you the facts because the facts are never going to change. And for my part, even though, on a regular basis, my spirit does not seem to be one which would have contended rightly with the fear of these facts, nor understood the depths and riches of the grace of these facts. Nonetheless, these facts keep coming out of my mouth because that's what the Holy Spirit of God does. That's how he saves us. That's how these things are enacted, is that from one man, woman, child, don't matter. We're all men in God. In Christ, we're all sons of Adam daughters of Eve, but sons of Adam then and born again in Christ, sons of the age to come. Every single one of us, when he is risen, comes out of our mouth, speak according to the Holy Spirit. Even the double-minded man who doubts is being called at that moment by elective grace, which is stronger than his own doubts. So again, lift your head, weary sinner. Hear that the burden and cry of your weary labor has been put to end in the comfort, the consolation of your affliction in the cross of Jesus Christ. That the blood of this one man ever living trumps and triumphs over all other trespasses that have ever been good morning isn't that better than the care bear stare i think it is you're watching the mad christian saturday morning chill i don't have a ton of opening monologue for you this morning however i do i do want to throw some real curveball your way we'll, we'll see what uh what happens with the screen elsewhere but i'm going to show you something i've been reading I've been reading this for a while. Here's our clarity word. We'll just we'll stick there for a second and, and get to the reading in a moment. But um, I've been reading for a while on a particular topic because I realized that, <clears throat> well, we just don't have enough research on this. I called it a, 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 
a blind spot in seminary education. You know, I, had a, I received a world-class, world-class seminary education at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and I, I will never begrudge, ever begrudge that, uh, that great, gift, great gift that I was given. But to say that there were no blind spots would be, would be un, un, untrue. So, so the blind spot largely has to do with dealing with you know, the dark arts, as you might say. Right? How do you fight demons? Uh, do they even exist? Oh, of course they exist. I mean, we all have theories about this, and we understand they're out there somewhere, but we don't, we don't really talk about this kind of thing because it makes us a little bit nervous. Yeah, that blind spot is one that's been bothering me lately, just in my own kind of, can we say walk? Am I allowed to say that as a Lutheran? In my walk, according to the scripture. And so I thought, well, maybe there's some, someone out there who's read on this, and wouldn't you know, there's actually a, a classic and original resource on this from German into English by a Lutheran? Could you believe it? I barely could myself. He is a different kind of Lutheran than you're usually going to find here on this uh, this side of the water. Uh, he is a state church Lutheran of the last century. That means he was paid by the government to be a Christian pastor his entire life long. And yet he also was part of a pietistic home church or outside of the state church movement wherein more Pentecostal things would take place, and yet, you know, it would seem in that time he had some uh, some events which, according to Scripture and as he teaches it, uh, line up with demonic exorcism. And he, as a Lutheran, still confessing, though certainly one that'll make, I mean, as you read it, if you're like a, a dyed-in-the-wool, dead Orthodox Lutheran, you're going to be like, oh, that's a little awkward how he said that. But it's like, look, look what he's dealing with and look what we won't deal with, right? So here this is as a resource, and I've been trying to, to look at it very carefully, honestly, and slowly. This is not something I want to just gobble down. I want to make sure I understand what I'm learning from this man who's, you know, talked to witch doctors at length about what they do, and they've confessed to him, you know, what they do in, in free conscience and things like that. Okay, so why do I want to show it to you today? I just want to show you this little section here. Can we even get in that close? Where it says this. I said, well, hold on. I'm, I'm going to give you a little run-up, though. Okay, so what he's about to describe is something called spiritual torment, okay? So I'm going to read you a description of demonic or spiritual torment torment. Uh, that is when the devil and or one of his messengers, because they are a legion and the devil himself is approximately probably not sitting at your doorstep, although your flesh is aligned with him. And again, there are others unseen who are also, you know, even some of the trees are on her side and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So, so that reality that they're out there doesn't mean that you're under torment. In fact, a Christian is promised a certain level of freedom from torment. That's why one indeed might come to Christ. But the difficulty is that the demons out there, uh, they don't all operate on the same level. They don't operate in the same way. And a lot of times they can get your, their hook in your conscience in ways that you don't even know happened. And that's what's called sorcery. And so that's what this book again talks about is what happens when a Christian, good will, full believing Christian, whether unwittingly or intentionally is uh, in proximate relation to sorcery. What happens when, if that Christian unwittingly participates in that sorcery, that false prayer to a demon, and then in some way is hitched by conscience or by heart to, well, the demon suggesting temptation to them? That's what this is talking about. Now, this is sort of outside of the standard realm of the flesh. This is what someone experiences, again, when there's a particular pain. (coughs) Excuse me for one second. Think of St. Paul. When he says he was given a thorn in his flesh, I'm not sure that this is a a one-to-one. Everyone just learned everything from that verse moment. But the word in the Greek that is called a messenger of Satan in most English Bibles uh, is, in fact, the word angelos, angelos, angel. It's the only word we have for angel. It doesn't always mean angel, like with wings and, you know, in unseen places. But 
But really, it often does. And at this point, it sure seems that way, that, that Paul is plagued by some sort of, again, torment. Now, why would this be for St. Paul? I don't know. And does it always happen through proximity to sorcery? I don't know. That's what this guy is saying, okay? And so what I want to read, though, is, is none of that. I just want to read you his description of the primary experience of a tormented Christian, okay? A Christian who is enduring more demonic influence in their life than they need to be, okay? That's what I want to read you. It's a very brief thing here, right? It's just this little pit part in the blue right here. Let's see if I can read it and have it on the screen at the same time. Uh, maybe not. Uh, yeah, uh, move the mic, Fisk. Move the mic. There we go. Can we, can we get there? Yeah. All right. So what it is, a coldness of a kind of ban will descend on his Christian life. He will lose his desire to pray and to read the Bible and will become lukewarm and sluggish with his faith hypocritical, and self-righteous. I just want to read that again. He, he will lose the desire to pray and to read the Bible. He will lose the desire to pray and to read the Bible. Now, now what I want to really ask you right now, Christian, out there in the world of TV land, how, how is your desire to read the Bible these days? How's it feeling? Like, did you just hunger for it, right? You can't wait. I can't wait to do everything else, get it done. I'm going to go read the Bible. You missing that? Yeah, me too. And, and when I read a passage like that, wherein someone says, like, they experience a hunger for the Bible, I got to say, wow, what am I missing? And I think there are some out there in Christianity land that would say, well, you haven't confessed all your sins yet. Or, or well, you haven't yet come to terms with reckoning, uh, with speaking in tongues, right? You haven't prayed and yearned hard. Well, wait a minute. Where's this grace thing at, right? Where's this forgiveness thing at? Where's this, you know, I'm an elect son of God thing at? Where's the promises at? Right? And the promises are true. The problem with torment is that somehow, some way, by exposure to unseen powers, you have enabled, allowed, or been put into your life, you know, allowing in God's will for the good of your ability to see influences that are unnatural, influences that are unseen and unnatural. And, and here's the good news I got so far for you as a Christian, period, is that even though you may not be able to escape the torment directly and immediately— you do not have to believe the torment. And it starts just like this, okay? So you think, I should read my Bible. And you're like, I don't really want to right now. Okay, so, so two things happen there. You had your brain talk to you with the word of God, and then you had your heart talk to you with your heart, okay? And your heart, because of whatever reason, is close enough to torment in this modern gray age that it really has not been very inspired by what has awakened your mind into knowing about your salvation. Your heart is fighting against it. Your heart, perhaps, is being fed by a lot of other things that enable and encourage its recalcitrant self-nature. Yeah, But then, as a result, it now says, Ooh, I want to stay selfish right now. Again, now, what gets to be the reality that you believe is true? That's the question, and really, that's the discipline. Is the heart always true? Or is the heart, as Jeremiah says, deceitful above all things, right? So, so torment works by convincing the Christian to trust the heart too much. Am I saying that if you are in a situation where you are demonically tormented, if you just stop trusting your heart right now, that everything will be fine? No, it's not what I'm saying at all. Like I said, I'm just reading this book because it's scary out here. <laughs> and you know, it, it's, I, I'm tired of living in a scholastic enterprise where we theorize about dark things and then believe they just aren't there. 
I'm hardly going to pick up a wand and start shooting light bolt or you know lightning bolts at anybody. What I'm going to do, I've, I've told you, I've been doing telling this for a year. Pick up the salter, would you? Could you could you like set down the computer for 15 minutes, like around lunchtime, and read three psalms? You think that might fight back against the darkness? It would. It would. And I and walking into that, what else have I got? I thank God I started. I'd be on the floor dying right now without that. So that's the fight, and that's the war. But then to know that the antidote to torment isn't to fight back with the war of the words, and to pick up the sword, to put on the armor, to not sit there like a lump on a log and think Satan's going to teach you how to feel better, but instead to lift up the red words, confess what the Psalter says, and speak back into the darkness. I, I can't get over how much I love a song. Golly, I can't believe I love this song. I really can't. Chris Roseboro, if anyone says anything about you, what I'm about to say, just don't believe him. Like, have a conversation with me first. But I can't. There's a song by Bethel. Bethel. I cannot believe I listened to something by Bethel. The false teaching that's come out of this church, the damage that it's done to life. But, but the song is called Raisin' Alleluia. And it is about how in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the things that you can't believe are true, your weapon as a Christian is to lift up your voice. And that song, frankly, befits the word of God. It's not that song is mandated by scripture. It's song is built into man. And so when man praises, he will eventually sing. Right? So to acknowledge that that is the weapon of Christianity in this present age, that you want to fight back against the torment in your life, sing. One of the greatest dreams I have right now, and I have no idea how to get there. I do not know how to get there. My She's watching me on the screen. I just want to tell you right now, you, you kind of know this and you kind of don't know this at the same time. One of my greatest dreams right now is that every night, right around the same time, right as we're all closing up, we've all put the shop down, we're getting ready to go to bed, and there is 30 minutes of song. 30 minutes of Christ's song that we sing. And whether it's praise, whether it's worship, whether it's contemporary, whether it's traditional, those words don't apply. We're going to have a question about this later, but it's really important to understand. Those words don't apply because it will simply be our folk singing. That's what it is. It's our folk singing about Christ, and therefore it is our folk song. Right, And so the recovery of folk song as praise in the home, whether you're using your hymnal or whether you happen to get a good one out of Bethel, I mean, a blind squirrel, I don't know, right? It's it, What are they doing over there and what are we not hearing? That's another question I have for my own self. How many times am I importing false theology into words that are just translated poorly? And so if the tribe can't speak my tongue, I got to be careful, you know? And, but then again, if I'm listening to a tribe that doesn't speak my tongue, I might very well be led astray, shibboleth and all that. So you, you follow? And if you don't, well, go look up shibboleth. So, on this torment right torment it's real this is the point do you want to live not like a modern you want to understand the barbarianism that is coming those who are out there who already pray to demons and darkness who who hold their pyres at night with the full moon and call upon the blood oaths of old that they might be filled with juju so they can take down this great white evil of america whatever they're purged against at this very moment with all of their anti-everything uh, their nihilistic fulfillment of Nietzsche's dream of destruction, uh, their uh, uh, Rashal Ghul approach to, to resurrection through the ashes, with all that going down out there, and, and them believing and them saying they are worshiping the gods and not our God. Isn't it about time we believe that these these demons, these idols, even though they be but wooden stone, they are they are more than wooden stone that you cup if you drink the cup of demons. 
you drink the cup of demons. And so if you're going to find out that you have the result of torment in your life, that is right now, I'm, I'm just suggesting that this book suggests, and I'm learning, though not completely convinced, but learning, it's a fair acu- accusation though, that if the hunger to read the Bible doesn't exist in your life. Like you're a Christian, you've been a Christian, you want to be a Christian, you love being a Christian, you just find it so hard and especially what you find hard is you just don't even want to read the Bible. Then there's this thing called torment. It's historical, it's been studied in people with other languages, English, we've largely forgotten about it. And basically since TV, we've stopped believing it's possible, right? But nonetheless, there's this there's this fact that there can be proximate demons in your life that you that are exercisable by prayer and song, frankly, straight up. When the word of God comes, the devil flees. And the trick is you've been convinced to do not go to the one thing you need. I ought to read the Bible. I don't really feel like it, right? That is not from God. That is not of the spirit. If you have that, does it mean you're not a Christian? No, it means you're a Christian being attacked. <laughs> you're being attacked. So, so what are you supposed to do? Fight back. Yeah, you're supposed to fight back. You know? And so, so when the heart says, oh, I don't feel like it, your mind says, I'm going to anyway because of duty because of grace and because of Jesus because Jesus said please because he said father forgive them they know not what they do because he said come to me when you're weary heavy laden I'll give you rest you want the Sabbath day you want the Sabbath rest you want to know what that means it means the Bible is supposed to relax you and make you feel better and if it doesn't it's because you're taking poison pills somewhere that are blinding you yeah and am I, am I, look, look, do you see the log in my face? Here, let me put it right there so you can understand. The log's in my face. <laughs> but I'm not going to hide from you my own repentance as I wrestle with it, right? And so, you know, it, the idol is always in how you use the thing. Uh, there, there is not a piece of wood or stone or gold that is out there that is eternally evil, right? It is what we've made of these things. The question is, how strong are you? Do you really think you're capable of resisting idols? especially when those idols perform signs and wonders to deceive the elect if that were possible. And if you don't think we live in such a time as that, just remember that all of the revelational times are fractal. You know, there's always a version of it. We've got a Mark of the Beast question coming up this morning too. So, you know, we always live in such a time in which the deception is going to be worse than it ever was and never different, just twisted more, right? And so, so seeing that for what it is, you know, what do you, what do, you do with it? Uh, once you know that the idol is an idol, do you keep the, uh, the, the ephod, right? Or, or do, you, do you burn uh, the golden serpent that once God told you to make? Where, where do you stand? That calls for wisdom and that calls for proximity. There aren't, I don't think there's a single answer to that. You know, what is your idol today? Does your family need your idol to eat tomorrow? Or is that the idol you got to get rid of? You know, I, that comes down to you, scripture, and your pastor. You know, the shepherd who's been sent to directly and proximately give you advice, the, the discipling leader, the older brother, the father, those people who know your context and know the scriptures. And if you don't have any of those, that's hard, right? Wow. Welcome to the ark. Golly, get inside, shut the door, start building for tomorrow. And I'll be a patriarch, all that kind of stuff. We got all these themes are going to come back here this morning. We're going to take that one minute break here in, in just a moment. Come back with your questions, Bible's answers, and of course, my nonsense, because I can't help that. It just, it just comes out sometimes. You know, put a quarter in. Gotta let her run. Uh, stick around. So, you know what I, I didn't do? This is going to be awkward. So, now I don't have a way to look at those questions directly. We haven't solved that problem yet. I will mention we, we're adjusting the screenshot a little bit here, lest anyone be confused by the, the, uh, the airsoft rifles in the background. Uh, and the, what is that other thing? Blade trimmer? So I wouldn't want YouTube to get the wrong idea about, you know, how we play airsoft around here and stuff like that. Uh, da, 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 da. We want to go to question number A, if we can. 
I planned to have a mic for you today, but it just didn't happen. That's that's unfortunate. I don't know if I can find it. You don't find what? Okay, so go go like uh, uh, command tab. Don't push any of those buttons. If you're on the main screen that you like being on, which is that button there, right? Um, command tab should bring up a finder. Do it until you see the finder window. Hi, everybody. And then there should be a question you can drop in. How am I going to read this? This is really disappointing, Jonathan. Here we go. What can I do? We're going to take another one-minute break. We're going to figure this out. <laughs> All right. We're kind of back, and we're dragging and dropping this thing in so we can see it there. And uh, we're going we're gonna to have fun times today. <laughs> one day we'll learn. Let's see. We cannot go any further because of this. What are we going to do? I don't think there's any way. This is amazing. How did we do it last week? You printed them. I printed them. Because, okay, so so we were late this morning. Do you think you can um, maybe do that one at a time with them? So go here. Well, I'll, I'll talk about how it all happened this morning. If you just double-click on it into that, and then you should be able to print from there, and then go grab a couple of them and bring them back out. Right, so Dropbox. I don't know. Dropbox, I don't know how, like, eight JPGs and, like, two mp3s and like just a bunch of more jpgs can actually fill out seven gigs and i don't you know i tried really hard dropbox i tried really hard to access your software which continues to change and complexify and and just to get these eight jpgs this morning uh and you know it took me 15 minutes right before showtime when you just wouldn't download for some everything else worked the internet worked just not dropbox and I don't you know who am I to, to compete with Dropbox? Who am I to question their great wise wisdom in the way that they give away stuff and then don't? The way they say it's free and then it's not. The way they hook you in and then they sink you. So I'm not happy with Dropbox today because it really ruined my morning. It really made me not happy about the show. And like right now we're like trying to just get you some story, right? Uh, so, so anyway, there it is. Dropbox, um, I don't even know. I don't even know what happened still. Um, I ended up trying to like up my subscription just to get these files that didn't work so so here we are and me telling the story it, for me though this is like forget dropbox this is about how the promises of technology just never pan out they're like oh it'll do this it'll do that and then like but then you have to <laughs> and they never tell you the but then you have to part and the the but then you have to is often much much wider in say time energy or spirit requirement than you expected so this thing that saved you time didn't really save you any heart. And and that's interesting, don't you think? That, that the amount of time that it saved you seems to have an inexpressible and inequivalent amount of heart that goes with it. This is why, like, so sitting back and playing a video game or watching TV for, like, relaxation doesn't really make you rested. It makes you more tired. I mean, you ever watch a movie at 10 in the morning in the dark room and you come out, you know what that feels like, right? So So part of that is the stimulation that occurs in the mind because of the blue light and all this kind of stuff. So, so you end up in a bit of a, a frenzied state while you're relaxing. Yeah. Um, I mean, try this sometime and it works best if you do it in the theater for sure. Um, is my face actually still being covered? <laughs> that's great. Do it sometime in the theater. Um, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that'll, okay. Do it sometime in a the theater, uh, when you're watching a movie and, um, my brain's not going to work now for a second. 
Uh, da, 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 da. If you're in the middle of a movie, and like it's a good movie, you want to do this one, it's a good movie, and everyone's into it, right? And you just stop for a second, and if you can pull your mind out of the out of the mind warp that's going on when you're like all sucked in the vortex of watching, and then look at everybody else in the vortex of watching, right? Uh, see what their bodies look like, and say, do they look relaxed? You know, do they look like they're resting? And you'll, they're like everyone's like in a tra- in a trance. It's it's intense. Um, does that mean it's a sin to do that? You're you're working the wrong framework from where I'm at right now. I'm talking about wisdom and folly, not talking about you know sin and grace per se at the moment. I'm talking about what makes sense and what works. I'm talking about the first article and what's obvious. And what's obvious is that nobody really relaxes by using these tools. Nobody really rests by using these tools. If you go out in your sport utility vehicle, guess what? You're going to be more tired. You know what? That's okay. Just know the exchange, right? And I think most people understand with their RV or whatever the exchange that happens. Maybe they don't before they get involved with what that all is. But but with all of these tools, we're not sold this. We're not told this. We're not prepared for this. When I got email, nobody told me, by the way, in 15 years, you're going to run your life. <laughs> You'll have no choice. And that extracting from it means extracting from like your banking. I mean, it's, how do you get out? Yeah. Welcome to the matrix, right? Welcome to the matrix. So, okay. That was all just me uh, getting us to Samuel's question here where, where he says this this morning. Can I shake an iPad? Oh, not really. Here we go. Hey, Pastor Fisk, I've more recently found your channel from some friends of mine because I watch other channels like the Higher Things YouTube channel or Brian Wolfmuller's. That's awesome. That's good stuff. Uh, my question is this. How do I respond to someone who opposes Christianity by asking, why doesn't God just save everyone since he can do anything? This has recently been plaguing me, and while I am still a Christian and really do struggle with this, and it's harder when friends continue to ask this of me, especially since I'm planning and, and feeling called the office of holy ministry. Thanks and blessings, Samuel. All right. So, well, God bless you on your, on your walk there and as you consider the office, right? Uh, the, the call. Um, my, my, my words to you are get in the Psalter. Those are my words to you on that one. And if you're not, then don't try uh, until you are. So, uh, to your main question here, right? You're dealing with someone who's a skeptic. You're dealing with somebody who does not want to hear what you're saying, right? So, you already know you're kind of on the wrong foot. You've decided to defend Christianity. When Christianity needs no defense, Christianity rises to its own defense by simply being an offense. <laughs> and the pun, the double entendre, if you're missing it, slow it down, write it down, and look at it every day for like three days. Christianity's not supposed to be a defense. It's an offense. It's an offense. And it is really good at offense. It's so good at offense that it never loses. You can, you can try to take it away. You can make it defend itself, which is really not... I mean, it can. It just doesn't win by playing defense. It wins by being the offense. It, I mean, most sports ultimately have to do this, right? And so, so it shouldn't be surprising. It's not against common sense or anything like that. It's just, it's just not the way we intuitively want our religion to feel and act and work. Okay, okay. So, so you're in a place where you're defending Christianity rather than just being the offense that you are. So some of this is like, well, what do you want the answer to be? You know, why doesn't God just save everyone since he can do anything? I'm going to give you my first answer first, and then we'll give you kind of the nicer answers. But again, why doesn't God just save everyone since he can do anything? Because of nonsensical questioning of his salvation that rejects it. That's the answer. Now, the person's not going to understand what you said until later, and then they might be mad. But that's the actual answer. Their question is why people aren't saved. Rather than say amen, they said why. 
stop it. You know, that's on you, friend. It's offensive. It's offensive. That's why they don't want to believe. They're offended. So why can't God save everyone? I'm offended that he's just going to save me. Wow. All right, dude. That's on you. Yeah. And so, so that's the answer. Why doesn't God save everyone? Here's another way to say that answer. Because not everyone will be saved. But can't God just make them? No, no, not everyone will be. What do you think we are? What do you think a human is? A human is a will. A human is a spirit in a body that becomes this will and a will bent away from God that will not be with God. And so God comes down and he says, I will be with you. And what do you know? Some of us are like, amen. And then some of us are like, I will not be. And that's that. And we're like, well, maybe it's because some of us are better. And God's like, no, 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 no. You're so wrong about that, that you're with the people who will not be with me. So we're like, okay, we can't say that then. So how's it work out? We don't know. We know that some people will not be with God and they will not be with God because they ask questions about his salvation, (laughs) which is like, hey, you're in the fire. I have the life to give you. I have the water to put the fire out. You're like, well, I'm not sure. Can you tell me about it first? Prove me that you're valuable and then maybe I'll trust you. And he's like, you're already burned. You're, you're burned now. That was your, that was your 60 years of life. You did that, not God, right? Well, that's offensive. What do you mean, God? I, I was born here because God made, okay, what, again, yeah, it's offensive. It's offensive. God is on offense against you because you've rebelled straight up. And if you're offended by his offense, well, that's the first step to maybe realizing that you're on the wrong side that your torment is more than just torment. It's unbelief at a certain point that you're bothered by God's love. Wow. Look at you, big boy, right? You can't stand the fact that you have to be forgiven, right? It, you don't want to be in need of a God who saves you, even though everything else you do in life is about heroes. Everything else you do in life is about fixing the problems and yet a God that fixes the problem and because the problem's you, that one's too big. You just can't understand it because other people don't believe it. I won't believe it. Oh, that's good. Lemming. I mean, what answer do you want? Do you want the kind, soft, oh, please come be a Christian with us answer? Look, he's on the cross saying they don't know what they're doing and I forgive them anyway. That's the grace. The grace isn't us being nice enough for everyone to believe it. Uh, and repenting of that is part of the answer to this question. Uh, um, how do you respond to somebody who opposes Christianity by asking, why doesn't God just save everyone since he can do anything? I would say you believe in a theoretical God. You've never been confronted with the idea of an actual God. You live in a bubble called the modern world. And until that bubble is challenged, until you believe it's possible for powers that are greater and wiser to you to see more than you, and then in fact, work your destruction or salvation without your say in the matter, that that's even possible. You live in a world that's not possible. Until you believe it's possible, then you're just, you're not going to get Jesus. You're not going to get the severity of Jesus. You're just going to think he's some nice guy who says really weird stuff sometimes and you kind of like some of it, but not all of it. You're certainly not going to spend time hungering for more of the red letters, right? And then again, that's it, right? So so what do you say? You say, my friend, I'm just not sure you want to hear what I have to say. I'll say it once and then we'll be done, right? And then when you want to hear it, when you're not trying to tell me how I'm wrong and you can just be okay with your opinion, your view, and I'll be okay with my view and you want to ask about my view and see how my view makes sense, that's great, that's great. But, but while you're trying to like actually convert me, no, I, I'm not. I'm under no mission from Jesus to under un, in, uh, to undergo somebody else's attempts to convert me. I, I don't have to put up with it. I don't have to listen to it. I'm not mandated to like love them until they convert. I, I'm mandated to be faithful, which at times means silencing the devil's voice. 
it means turning off the input that isn't helping you hear. Uh, it means not letting the, the torment have the floor, really, right? So, all right, can we get the second question on the screen? And then we'll see if I can, if I can get to it <laughs> uh, on the iPad here. I'm not sure how that's going to work from here. And then we got to get this sound off. Um, screw my head here. Everything's a little bit behind, too, with the iPad. So that's why we're going to have to sit here and wait for the thing. Did the printing not, not work? Was that just... Oh, that's right. We have, we have the magenta dilemma. Um, so, all right. There goes that question away, which means I'm watching. I'm watching what you're watching like 10 seconds ago kind of thing. And there's the question I can pause it. We got a question from a reverend out there. Um, we don't even know what church body's in, but thank you for writing in and asking this question. Uh, he says a bunch of stuff that's good and asks for some, some focus in particularly on this music issue, revivalism, contemporary worship, stuff that, again, I tried to never talk about too politically uh, in back in the WeTV days. Although if you have ever been anywhere near me, um, you know that the way we do it is is, is the smells and the bells and the high up and the it's all beautiful and reverent and ancient. Um, so so I do advocate that and I want everything else that's being kind of heard in this conversation to be understood that I, I believe in a certain practice that endures and it doesn't mean that you never have your folks sing, um, but but you want to not get rid of the things that endure and idolize your folk singing and it's as simple as that really. Um, Rev P says this, uh, I appreciate your video about Christian music specifically um, how you mentioned the biblical things we confessional Lutherans don't believe talk about because someone else says it's wrong. I'm going to write to ask you two questions. Um, but at that point there, I think that's maybe one of the best, best points I've made in, in a good while for my own part. And I'm not, I don't, this is not about me. It's about my own, at the moment, my own freedom to speak what the Bible says and be glad to have the words back and just continually rediscovering like Bible verses that effectively are unquotable in the Lutheran current zeitgeist, wherein orthodoxy means never saying something that can't be misunderstood by somebody who wants to misunderstand it. And it, that's that's just not a winnable game. It's, it's, not, it's not defending or offending the faith, right? It's, it's limiting your language based upon your enemy's fit throwing. And anyway... So, so seeing that and then realizing what our kind of first step has been as conservative Lutherans for the last 50 years that we've been cutting off our own arms a little bit, um, you know, despite our face, uh, it, that's really an eye opener. It really is. And so, so just picking up on that alone, I think is if it's your first time hearing it is, is more than, um, kind of anything else that's going to come from the rest of the conversation, right? Uh, that, that Lutherans should be able to say, yeah, I'm a born again Christian. Just the same way they should be able to say, yeah, I'm a Catholic. <laughs> yeah, we should be able to say both of those things. Uh, so first question that you write in then is this one. Uh, granting everything that you said in that video about revivalism and its sacramentalization of music, that's why I left Reformed Evangelicalism in the first place, is there an objective standard for when a song style runs into this error? Yeah, idolatry. <laughs> but what's the, what's the subjective standard for idolatry? Yeah, it's a word we don't even use much, right? Like, Go try to find the word idolatry in your standard catechetical stuff, wherein it's not just talking about what people used to do or not just talking about how like we have idols in our heart that we just can't get rid of. Right. As if there's no fight. Um, so, uh, um, is there an objective standard for when the song style runs into idolatry? It, it will, or becomes idolatry. Um, the need for it, the need for it. All right. And, and this is what really betrays so much of our problem right now and how much our flesh is running the argument from all sides. Because any church body, any church body that considered itself a body with the intention of something like mission, that is uh, generating more of what we believe, of what we are, which is Christians, right? Um, a body that would want to do that, that found itself about to 
radically divide over something as trivial as organ or guitar would recognize by the wisdom of the scriptures that as soon as such things are idols, the real answer is just to tear the idol down. And so the moment you would remove all the music from all the churches in the LCMS and say, now worship together, um, I think we'd have a lot less debate about whether or not we had uniform stuff on the page overall. Of course, you'd have 95% refuse to participate because, well, you found the idol then, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just kind of the point, okay? So, so there isn't like some rule of thumb for which music is better or worse, except for that there is in the first article. So we've got to move a little bit out of the salvific realm for half a moment here and just talk about how there's like good art and there's bad art. I know, I know you're poor American snowflakes. We all believe all art's good. We get a reward for everything. But just in reality, that's not how bridges stay up. And it's really not how beauty works. Uh, Nobody thinks everybody's art is beautiful. People think actual beautiful art is beautiful. Now, a lot of modern art, not so beautiful to most people, right? Only to the modern artist, artist who's done so much to make it personalized and all this kind of stuff. So beauty is is about often what's common as opposed to what's unique. Um, and yes, what's common and then diverse at the same time. Um, so uh, what you find then from local, common, diverse uniqueness is that whatever congregation you visit is always going to have its own experience of what worship and liturgy is, of what music is. <clears throat> And so uh, you can, uh, um, because they're all going to be unique like that, trying to pin the tail on the idolatry is not going to be possible because what is an idol in one church may not be in another church. Uh, it may just be a tool at that point, right? And so so it's it's not a simple thing aside from the fact that it's about where your spirit is. It's about where the word of God is. So when you're singing the songs, even though they actually lead you astray, we'll see this is problematic. Or so one of the things that's really bothered me in my church body, and, and I, I have a real issue with revivalism as a practice, that is trying to do really good folk music to get people to believe that the spirit's there more than other places. Um, I, I don't think that's honest with modern tools of manipulation and electrification especially. Um, uh, oh, I'm going to lose it now. Lose where that one's going. It'll come back to me. Uh, uh, do you remember? Did you hear anything of what I was saying? No. Thank you. That's all good. Um, uh, I, I got tracked off on revivalism. I was trying to see something before I went off on revivalism and, uh, and how it's a threat. Um, credit, credit, credit. So again, uh, where we were at was uh, something along the lines of finding the idol by understanding that it's locally going to be different kinds of things, but it's the thing that everyone thinks they need, which isn't the word of God. So whatever that is that you think you need more than the word of God or let me put it another way. Pastor, all we have here is preaching in the Lord's Supper. We need more, don't we? Well, you do, but what is it you need more of? Preaching in the Lord's Supper mostly. Does that mean the pastor has to be the only one who talks? No, 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 no. By preaching, I more mostly mean people speaking the word of God out loud to each other, right? So like when you get together with a friend midweek and read some Bible together and pray, right? That That's what we need more of. And what we have that's in the way of that, that's what idols idols are. Um, so for the electrification of music or for the amplification of like old world, um, awesome culture, uh, you know, uh, the classical great works of the 1800s and, and the pinnacle of Britannia, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like these are not bad things. Neither are they salvific things. Neither are they things that we are guaranteed in any way 
to have endure, even though they endure longer than other things because they're good and well-made. And I'm not saying we should tear them down, right? I'm saying that they should not be built up as if they are the, the foundation, as if they are foundation. So I, I got to come back to the rest of your question here to ask, answer more of it, but I have locked myself out of my reading thing right here. So that is coming back momentarily. All right, all right. So, so the objective standard, that's what we're after, is the objective standard um, for song or style. And then, so it's going to be what the Word of God says. And whether or not this can be aligned with the Word of God, in some ways, the simpler the better. In some ways, you really want it to be clear, right? And it's kind of going to, kind of going to depend. Um, what I have liked about the contemporary music that I have been able to listen to privately for my own folkness, right, um, is has been when it's simple. The more private it gets, the more they're talking about their personal life and struggles, and the less I can relate to them. And so how pure the word of God is, is your standard. The word is sufficient and universally translates itself when preached, confessed, sung, all that, right? You want to add in your spin on it? That can maybe be helpful for this context, but to assume that it's therefore universally helpful, that's the trick. Now, what is a hymnal? A hymnal is a bunch of stuff that's found to be more universally useful than other stuff over the course of time. So does that mean that you open the hymnal and you find it universally useful? No, it means that everybody who lived before you thought it was universally useful. And so if you alone don't, that's a fascinating moment in history. And you really want to slow down and decide what went different and was it good? And let me suggest illiteracy was not better for us. Yeah. Uh, living in symbols and pictures alone, brainstreaming the matrix into our noggins rather than absorbing it through looking unto words that are beyond us. And yet we can consider them, go back to them, all that. It's completely changed the way we absorb stuff. Um, so, uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. That's a bit of a distraction too. Uh, it, it, the objective center then becomes, you know, is the word of God pure? Right, And by that, I don't mean, is the Bible pure? Yes, the Bible is pure. Is the thing you are singing as the word of God, in fact, the Bible? Or is it some other thing? And this is where, you know, the praise song cruncher that Wolf Mueller's got, uh, Roseboro's sermon diagnostics. I mean, you really, you need that kind of catechesis at some point in your life. You really do. Otherwise, you're just going to be eating garbage all the time. You know, and, and by garbage, okay, so which is worse? You know, somebody who's singing about worldly values. I'm going to love this girl in this way because she's pretty and she's mine. And I'm going to go get her, right? And oh, well, and I'm going to drink more too, by the way. Um, so you got that song going on. And then you got the songs like, like I gave my life to Jesus. I made a decision to be saved in Jesus because it's my will. And because I gave my life to Jesus, now everything's going to be better. All right. So like, which of those is worse? I actually still think it's, it's the one where the guy's doing all the evil. Because the guy who said all that stuff about giving his life to Jesus, he doesn't really mean that he did it. He's wrong. His, his grammar is wrong. If he's a teacher of the church, he's going to lead people astray. But what he's doing is he's excited that he's free. He's excited that he's free. And so th- that's your test. What do, you, what do you bind? What was that, the fell? Somebody walked through. Um, the test is, is it binding consciences? The test is, is it, is it silencing the praise? It's not that you need to change the music to get the praise. That, that's evil, I think. The music doesn't make the praise. The question is whether your music is silencing the praise, whether your idol is silencing the praise, whether you're becoming tormented by the thing that's supposed to be setting you free. And again, I think that's a local question. It's a local question. I know this, that when the church is dying, when there's only 15 or 30 of you left and you're all over 65 and you don't understand why and you think it's everyone else's fault and you decide then to start a band or bring in someone to start a band, this is not going to fix it. I know that. I know that. I know that's how it's been sold to my church body, 
right? So that's where I'm like stinky, something stinky over here, right? But but what's stinky is the salesmanship of you better change it, better do it, New America. And every church body, every tradition, every Christian heritage would do better to have just a little less trust in that salesman because the snake oil doesn't do us any good. It really, really doesn't. Um, can I get like a five second? Am I back? Uh, part two, part two. Uh, parts of the Bible we don't believe because we say it's wrong. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about like this idea that I've I've come so far in my systematic theology, which is a good thing. It's how you kind of understand what you've read in the Bible. I've come so far in my systematic theology that I find parts of the Bible that don't fit in my system. What do I do then? Do I get out the like the whitewash? Right? Do I try to make the Bible go away? Do I just ignore it? Not there. Do I, do I, do I break my system? Do I find a different system? Yeah. And so the claim for Lutheranism is that we've got like this perfect system. And you know what? If you're going to argue in the court of law of the 1700s, I think you're right. (laughs) But if you're going to try to have a conversation on the street with a common man today, no, no, our system's pretty busted right now. It tells the truth in some of the most complicated ways possible when the words of the Bible tell it in very simple ways. We've managed to make what is obvious complex. And in fact, we have to often tell you what's wrong before we can tell you what's right. This again shows the defense as opposed to offense that the apology of the Augsburg Confession, while certainly confessible and true and necessary in its time, has a tenor, a tenor that we want to not have as our first step. We want the tenor of the creeds as our first step, right? The apology is what you're forced to when the evil one gives you no choice, yeah? All right, so so, um, parts of the Bible we don't believe because people say it's wrong. Psalm 150 comes to mind. Uh, the dude seems pretty worked up, pretty interested in diversity of instrumentation, including loud crashing percussion, dance and other things. Uh, I struggle to imagine in an LCMS church. Yeah, for sure. Or really any church. I mean, when you, when you add the sacrifices and blood flow that would be put in all this stuff too, really. Um, so, so might our legitimate fear of failing, falling into the revivalistic feeling sacrament error lead us to pull back from actually obeying the joyful imperatives of Psalm 150. Thanks for your feedback. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like what we've done is we've made the word praise and the word worship into bad words. And so they carry like a, a taboo cognitive dissonance with them. And I think over a generation, that's just going to have effect on the way you feel about singing to Jesus, right? It's just, you're going to be like, you're not going to, because <laughs> you're going to kind of think it's wrong in a weird way. And what a, what a ploy the devil can play when he's convinced you of that, right? When he's taken the song that sets you free and he's made it into something that you bind yourselves and your own consciences over it so that everybody loses. That's not really a happy thing. So Psalm 150, I, I don't think it's like, okay, he, he's shouting to all creation at all times to praise God because it does. And if you want to take anything from it, recognize that you're the song master where you are. Everybody is. It's fractal. It's Pendragon-esque. There's going to be a leader. But nonetheless, man was made to lead creation in song. Angels, archangels, all the company of heaven, powers and unseen things. Uh, Birds, air, animals, sun, moon, they all declare the glory and majesty of God. And man, when he sings the word of God spoken to him to speak back, when he rightly orthodoxily, when he write praises, straight praises, the true triune God, according to the word which he's been given to speak back, all creation with him sings and longs for the glorious day of the sons of God to be revealed. So yeah, Psalm 150 is like, we own this. We own this. It's not theirs. 
It's ours. They can't take it. Jesus took it back. Our weapon, our righteousness, right hand, left words, words God said are true, that when our heart and breath and mouth speak them again are the enlivening regeneration in real time, the real action of the Holy Spirit among us, reminding us, calling, gathering, enlightening, electing us. And that reality, the gates of Hades, death itself, the grave, hell, it does not stand against us. Again, it's, it's our resistance. It's our resistance. Um, on the Psalms in Psalm 150, if you're going to talk about Psalm 150, I think you have to talk about Psalm 149. I really do. I don't think it's fair to advocate rock and roll in the sanctuary. I'm not saying you're doing this, right? But people do this. People do this. Well, Psalm 150 says, hey, every instrument ever, I want to have rock and roll in my church because I like it better. It'll make young people happy. So we're going to do it anyway. Okay, 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 okay. okay. So you're going to do Psalm 149 too? I'm not even going to read it. For, I'm not going to tell you. You've got to go look at it. You're going to do Psalm 149 too, right? Because it's, it's all about doing exactly what it says, right? Just checking, just checking, making sure you're reading like honestly here, right? Because the Psalter, it says a lot of stuff and you're supposed to believe it all. So check how you're believing what it says in 115. Again, is it really about disturbing the peace of the sanctuary and destroying the local folk song because you'd rather have a different one? Because it said symbols, right? And that's when it, when it gets used like that, like that's just, it's just godless. It shows you how godless we are. Like that's how we used it. That's what we're arguing about. We're, I think it's supposed to be about how we're all saved, right? Isn't that what it's about? How, like, nothing can stand against the Church of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You're welcome, by the way, uh, Reverend. Um, you are absolutely welcome. Can we, my wife, start the transition to number three? Uh, number C. Number C. First, B, and fifth. Oh, look at you. You're amazing. So I can just close this then. All right. And we're on to number C? Not quite? No. Oh, excuse me. I really do enjoy this. This is, this is nice. It makes me feel like it's normal to have trouble sometimes with a computer. I, I love it. I love you. This is good. This is really good. Uh, this is C, right? All right. Pastor Fisk, I am a Christian with a mental disorder. I understand. And um, that language and that confession, uh, it is not easy. Um. Now, let me let me give you a little suggestion that that means you're tormented, okay? Doesn't mean it's going to go away. Doesn't mean you can get an exorcism and make it all happy. No, no, no. What it means is you're tormented. And for your own heart and conscience sake, um, to understand the affliction, that's another way you could call it, is affliction. You're afflicted. Those are biblical words. And um, mental disorder, that's Nietzsche. No, that's Plato. You don't need that. What you want to know is you're afflicted and you're tormented. And yeah, 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 I get it. It makes things very difficult. You, you, you're not kidding, right? You're not kidding. Prayers are always appreciated. Um, Jesus Christ, please be with Dirk. I mean, everybody who's watching uh, today, if you open the psalm, try to remember uh, Dirk, Dirk, who desires your prayers. Probably the biggest problem I have is feeling out of control in my need to do good works. That's interesting. I know that with my own affliction, the biggest problem I have is my need to do something. It's like auto haste, right? I used to play this game called Magic the Gathering, and you could put haste on a creature, which means it like attack right away, right? And it's like like there's certain creatures that like they'd be really strong, but they have haste, and like this says something like has to attack every turn, right? 
Yes, that's kind of what mine feels like. <laughs> Although it's not attack, it's defend, and yet it is. It's always attack too. It's just really frustrating. But but like um, the need to do something is at the heart of that, right? It, and what it is is whenever you're tormented, whenever you're attacked, whenever you're doubting, you know, whatever level of it you're at, whenever you're struggling, whenever you're in a trial, it generally will be telling you that the world is not sufficient the way it is right now. And that not only do you need to do something about it, but that if you don't do something about it, it will be bad-er, right? It will be worse-er and some level of guilt and or unavoidable or, uh, you know, un something you shall not be able to endure will ensue, right? Uh, very childish, this thought, by the way. How many things in life happen you can't endure? I mean, you're here, right? So like nothing in your whole life has ever happened to you that you can't endure. Go figure. And that, that's not even like a Christian thing, right? It's just humanity. But the torment often, the doubt is there will come something you can't endure. That's, that's the lie itself, right? Um, and so the need to do something to stave off what can't endure, that's the idolatry too, right? I will set something up to protect me. <laughs> and because of this thing that I have done with my hands, I will be protected. You know, the God who you have to actually serve by making it so that it protects you, right? As opposed to the God who serves you first made your hands for you to serve him, not by doing things for him to make him possible, right? But by being his face to others, using your hands for others. I mean, it's just, it's such an end around. It's just the opposite direction of everything, the way Jesus is. It's incredible. And so, yeah, being trapped in your feeling of this though, dude, this is so normal. Like if that's your only, I believe you have, torment affliction mental disorder but if this is just this is just normal right now that you have a lot of times where you feel like justifications up to you that is that is the common definition of sin that is the common experience of original generating sin from adam oh look i can be better than i am if only i will that's what he did when he was perfect and it messed stuff up and now we think it's the answer over and over and over again that's original sin is there an antidote well not to your flesh except jesus but like your flesh is with you in a war against Jesus who's with you promising to win until the day he wins by grilling you in the grave once and for goods, right? Which for some reason we're all trying to avoid. What? What? Run toward the tomb. Um, <laughs> it's, it's freedom, they say. Uh, they preach. He is risen. I just hit a fly. That was great. God bless the flies. Uh, so he goes on. He says, I... He's in my face as I say it. I grew up Calvinist and have been Lutheran for roughly two years now. I feel like I can't stop works righteousness almost like it's an addiction. Correct. This is the normal common human experience. You're very perceptive to have seen this in yourself. Most people have trouble acknowledging it, but it is. It's un, numero uno operating princi, princi, principle. Um, I really would like to learn Spanish. I feel like I can't stop. Okay. Da, 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 da. I cling to the gospel the best I can, but thinking about the third use of the law and forfeiting of salvation due to ongoing sin, not doing good work, sets me right back into compulsive works righteousness mode. Yeah, dude, 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 you're like thinking about it too much. Literally. Uh, Jesus did not say, come to me all ye who are weary and heavy laden and think about it some more. He didn't say, come to me all ye who are weary and heavy laden and if you try hard enough, after you get to me, everything will be okay. What he said was, it is finished. What he said was, I baptize you. What he said was, I will not leave you or forsake you. And what he said was, 
your affliction helps you see this. So rule number one for wrestling with torment, affliction, struggle, trial, whatever else it is in your life is to know that if it weren't coming to you right now, you'd be going to hell. Get it? It doesn't matter how much the bottle spilled and ruined everything and you have to clean it up because what happened next was what God needed for you to believe in Christ and to retain that need for Christ. When you are afflicted, you are reminded of your need. When he lets you be on your own enough to find the pain you make for yourself, you crawl back to him faster. And this strengthens you and your understanding. It also displays this glorious reality of his endless grace, mercy, and drawing of you to him through Christ for the sake of all the ages around us, for the angels, the all that kind of stuff, the heavenly powers. Both good and evil, I imagine, that they might on the last day rightly see what is going on. The demons, their punishment in large part will be seen exactly what they are. And the angels, their glory is to see the glory of God in the man Jesus Christ. Wow, what a thing. What a thing. They, they serve and, and bow down before man now, right? And uh, don't let that be stolen from you. Okay, so you go back to works righteousness because you're letting it be stolen from you. And I, I do it too. We all do it. You're not going to stop doing it. But, but honestly, like, if you have words that are not in your head, that you would rather have in your head than the words that are in your head, you got to do two things. You got to write out the words in your head that you don't want in your head. Say, this is what I think, and I don't like thinking this. And you got to write out what you want to think instead. I would rather think this. And then that's not enough. Then tomorrow, read it. And the next day, read it again. And the next day, read it again. And eventually, write it down one more time or change what it says. And then read it again. And over the course of time with prayer that is adding truth to it from the scriptures, pile the mind of Christ into your solutions and answers of what you'd rather be than what you are. What you will find is that at the very least, the words you speak when you are struggling with torment are wise words, as opposed to merely your own heart getting the better of you, which we all have a version of that now, don't we? We all do. Are, are we ready for the next one, my, my friend? You're the best. She's awesome. She really, really is. Uh, Jules says this, number D, I do not believe that women should wear crucifixes. What can women do to help reveal their idols? I, I think this is a really interesting question because I have no idea why anyone would say that. Like, why would a woman not be able to wear a crucifix if a man can? I, I don't understand. So so my answer would be like, what women should do is, is wear crucifixes because it's perfectly normal. And okay, does a Christian have to have a crucifix in order to be a Christian. No, by no means, not even close. <laughs> so far away, so far away from truth, okay? Now, is it advantageous for a Christian who walks amongst so many idols that happen to talk and like do signs and wonders to have something that everyone else would think is an idol that isn't, but reminds you of your actual God in a way that none of the other stuff is ever gonna do or wants to do or will do? Is that advantageous? You best believe it's advantageous. Boy, why are you not carrying that thing, right? And then like, like make it big so you're uncomfortable because that'll show you, right? And so again, why, why not the ladies? I don't know. Uh, most of, if not all my family daughters, I mean, they have or are having or are being given crucifixes. Um, so you'll have, to, you'll have to come back at me again and tell me why, right? Explain this one. Let me know. Why, why don't you believe women should wear crucifixes? What's the particular biblical reason for this? I'd love to hear it. Um, what can people do to help reveal or fight against their idols 
apart from a crucifix though. I think that's an important thing. Um, well, you want to go super easy? What we were talking about already today. Read the Psalter. Have you joined the Sons of Solomon? Can you pray those Psalms? Nine of them, just nine. Four times a day, you do two, three, two, 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 right? It's all of maybe 15 minutes from your entire day, right? So let me just suggest that if you can't do that, then you have idols, and you should have your Bible like around, like have it, and 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 have like a reminder to to pray the Psalms, and then when you look at it and you're about, you're like, I can't do it. I have to go do that. Well, you just found it. You just found it right there. Whatever it is, whatever I have to go do instead, that I can't give five minutes right now. Five minutes to Jesus. I can't let Jesus give me five minutes of Him. Well, then you got you got something else you're worshiping, right? And you know the crucifix helps, but you know, test yourself with your desire to read the Scripture. What's keeping you from desiring the, the Scriptures? Um, that will will be a thing. Now, uh, I think that's a good answer. We're good. Where are we at? Where are we at for time? It is 10-10. So, so with the dance and the jig and a little bit more, we're going to take like a two-minute break so I can refill some water, get some water. We'll be right back. we got at least, what, five more questions, I think, uh, this morning. So, biblical Christianity, mad Christian nonsense, uh, all of that. Us the chill, stick around. Hey, Internet, he is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now, and he's not going to be long. Anyway, you found the mad Christian Saturday morning chill. Hey, if you don't yet support me on Patreon and you watch this a lot or you get the Mad Christian Mondays or you get Brief History Power and you like all that, you want to say thank you. Patreon is the way to help me out. Patreon.com slash RevFisk is the way to go. It's a subscription service that lets you let me know that the worker is appreciated. Uh, I just mentioned a couple other things, though, that are eventually and ultimately their own projects, which is really cool. Have you found A Brief History of Power with two white guys? It is the best podcast that there is for Christians living in such a time as this. Dr. Adam Coots of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, leads us on just a whirlwind tour of history to put you as a Christian in the present zeitgeist. So you might look out at the water spinning everyone else around you, like the waves and the wind that nobody else can see and they're all being blown by. You'd be like, oh, look, I'll carry an umbrella today. Uh, A Brief History Power Two White Guys, you can find that anywhere generally that iTunes or such things are found. Um, yeehaw. I distract myself. Yes, yes, yes. And then Mad Christian Mondays. So this, I mean, how many best things in the world can happen in one place at one time? I don't know. Can a black swan be multiplied by itself? Can you have a black swan to a unicorn power? That'd be even more so. What is that, right? Well, okay. Mad Christian Mondays is kind of like that. It is a news source that does the fact check deep diving that none of the other news sources want to do. We go and find all the sources, put them all together and say, well, who's telling the truth? Who compares to what? Oh, by the way, did you see this? And did you notice how they're covering up that? Because why? Why? And then again, most especially, how do you as a Christian keep your eye light? How do you keep it from being darkened? When you're listening to the evil age, how do you not become like the evil age? So Mad Christian Mondays is our attempt to just get that hook out there and help you find your way through the madness, through the madness. All right, so you can sign up for that at revfist.com slash newsletter. Again, patreon.com slash revfisk where you go for uh, Patreon and am I missing one thing? A Brief History Power 2 White Guys, search for that on iTunes. Should be able to find it there. Also, you will find when you do that, these shows by podcast that is by audio. You will find sermons by audio and whatnot. You can also find more at riffist.com and you can send questions to the show at riffist.com slash contact. And those questions can include things like, how do I find this other thing Pastor Fisk was talking about? And, and we'll, uh, the network, us the chill, uh, they, will, they will help you. They will help you for they are awesome. Okay, so next question. Here we go. 
flies in the face. I like this question. I'm not sure I fully can answer this question. Uh, it begins by calling me rabbi. I don't think I've ever been called rabbi before. Uh, thank you. That's, that's an honorable title. Um, I am a long-time lurker. Love it. Uh, thank you very much for what you do. I can't express how helpful it has been. I've been talking online with someone in China, a non-Lutheran of some faith tradition I'm not familiar with. A subject came up about eating blood because there is apparently a popular Chinese dish that uses blood. Okay. She had explained how she decided to stop eating this dish based on teachings of some of her pastors. That's not really surprising. Um, we always like to lean on the cleanliness laws as if they're actual laws as opposed to just wisdom. Um, and in so doing create problems for consciences, which is what you're running into right here. Right. So, um, uh, her pastors, uh, they had conflicted advice at times, and uh, she ultimately had decided by praying that the Spirit told her what God meant. Okay, cool. That's The, the, the Spirit never tells us in Scripture that the Spirit's going to tell you what God means because you pray harder about it. Um, so if it's not what the Scripture says, you may just be making it up. And in general, that's that's the danger, right? That's, that's the trick you want to not just believe your heart. I prayed, and I called my heart the Holy Spirit. Tricky, tricky place to be there. Not, not a good step, right? Not a long-term trajectory you want to be on. Um, so, uh, but she did pray about the scriptures a lot. So that's good too. She's all, what do you do at the end of the day? But like, hmm, you care, careful, careful, careful. I've read warning somewhere about following your pancreas. About yeah, yeah, I wrote a book about that, didn't I? Uh, when I when I challenged uh, her, she brought me first to Genesis nine four. You should not eat the flesh with life in it. That is, it's it's blood. I directed her to Mark seven eighteen and nineteen. Whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him. Right. So Jesus kind of abrogates the old covenant food laws in terms of their selfific effect, and that means on your ultimate kind of conscience effect that is tit for tat. Right. It doesn't mean there's no unhealthy food. <laughs> Um, so, so, uh, directed to Mark seven, 18, 19. That was very good of you. And acts, uh, 19, sorry, acts 10, nine through 16, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Right. Pigs in a blanket and all that. Um, the remainder of this question, do we, do we have it ready to go? Thank you so much. Yeah. Part. Okay. Okay. Um, she said, uh, blood is not in, uh, she said blood is not food. So her position is that blood is not food. And it's not an issue of cleanliness, so those texts don't apply. She eventually brought me to Acts 15, 20, and 29. I'm, I'm really curious about her definition of food and where she's getting that idea. So blood is not food because why? It seems to me the blood is food because if, it's, if you're told you can't eat, don't eat it, then in some way you could eat it, right? Like it's possible to eat it, and that makes it by definition food, unless it's poison, which I guess maybe that's her point, that the blood is not food but poison. But the trick is, like, it's not poison. Do you know, like... Like the horse lords, not really lords, the horsemen of like Central Asia, uh, young men often at times of, of famine uh, will ride off on their own with their horses away from where the family is kind of hunting uh, because they can survive just by drinking blood from their horses and letting their horses roam as, as the group can't. And they'll live on the blood just by drinking you know, from the horse. And that these men, uh, when you find them, they're incredibly healthy. Uh, they're, they're, they have everything they need in terms of food. So in some ways, um, this, to call blood not food is, is wrong. Blood is the perfect food. Blood is like pure food, but Jesus does say, or God does say, you know, don't, don't eat the blood. You're right about that in Genesis, but then he also says, you know, um, uh, nothing that enters your mouth as food ultimately makes you unclean, but she's saying, no, it's not about cleanness. It's about some other thing that's not cleanness. Okay. You're talking about cleanness. You're talking about something that's going to go in your body and make you unclean. So, so the place for the, the conversation with her is this, like, no, you said it's not about cleanliness for you, but it is. 
So that's the lie in your conversation with yourself, my friend, right? You're talking to a friend, you're lying to yourself about it not being about cleanliness. It is, and Jesus has abrogated this for salvation. Does that mean that you are unwise to not eat blood? You cannot eat blood. You're free to not eat blood. You just can't tell everyone else they're not allowed to not eat blood. At least not based on what you've said so far. Now, where you come next, I think is very important. And I I love this passage of scripture. I think it's really important. I think it's the heart of what you can do most as a Bible-believing Lutheran to help renovate your current framework away from scholastic atheism and into biblical mindsets. This is the Jerusalem Council. This is where, at long last, with Paul present after having preached among the Gentiles, uh, the question of circumcision for salvation comes up. That is, must someone follow the Old Testament codes in order to be saved? That's the question. Do those codes exist so that when we know about Jesus, we have to go keep them as codes? And the answer is unequivocally, no. That is not the New Testament. The old wineskins could not contain the new wine. Does that mean there's no wisdom in these ancient words? No. Does that mean that eating the blood is necessarily good for you and I'm guaranteeing it no matter what? No. I'm saying that you cannot make a law where God has not made a law. And now you want to point to Acts chapter 15 as your place. Okay, so, so again, Acts chapter 15, where they're saying, they're saying among anything else, that nobody who is a Gentile, no one who's not a Jew by birth, is to read the Old Testament because they're a Christian and then go and try to do it to stay a Christian. That's wrong. But what they do need to do is refrain. They say this very straight up. Refrain is James' idea. Remember this? From four things. Okay? And those four things are, oh, here's your, your, your trump card, right? Blood idolatry, twisted stuff, panigo is the word in Greek, and, and um, porneia, you know, adultery. Porneia really gets it across in English. That's the Greek word. So those four things that as, as Christian converts to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, those are like the, the first principle morals of the created order. And, and of course, if you know anything about biblical numerology, four is the number of the earth. And so it's a, it's a good number for a total. I and mean, James is not accidentally coming up with this. James is evidently well-versed in Proverbs and Solomonic wisdom. Uh, and so the question then is, okay, so what are these these things? And, and the debate comes up largely around this word blood and the word panigo, twisted things. Nobody really debates that they don't want us to commit adultery. Nobody really debates that sexual sins are forbidden by the New Testament gospel. Um, so that one doesn't seem to be as much of a problem, even though if you talk about idolatry in your home these days, 90% of Americans, you know, we know that adultery is in those homes because it's being streamed in one way or the other to watch. Yeah, And so, so well, porneia is, is porneia, and it's still as much a threat as the rest. Um, but certainly the blind spot of panigo and blood is, is seems to be there for American Protestantism. I'll agree with that. And then idolatry. I mean, this is the one where it's like, we think it's gone. <laughs> we think idolatry is what people used to do. Or there we'll talk about, you know, again, Calvin, the heart is an idol factor. Yeah. But, but like, then do you actually remove them? Do you find out what they are and really repent of them? Or, or is it okay to just live your best life now and set down the roots here and decide that you're at ease? 
right? I mean, that, that's, that's a threat, I think, as well that we all have to face, um, that idolatry has not gone away. Um, but okay, so back to the two that, that seem to be the d- debating points, again, blood and panigo. This is where it gets really interesting in, in my kind of historic tradition, which is, you know, the way I was taught this uh, most and regularly is that these two things, refraining from blood and refraining from strangled things, are in fact cleanliness laws from the Old Testament. They are uh, from sections of Leviticus that at that time, the Jews really wanted the Gentiles to nonetheless do anyway, because otherwise these things would be exceptionally offensive to them. And so you're not supposed to eat food with blood in it, kind of like the ladies arguing. And so, um, although you kind of can too, because this past, this is the thing. So you're not supposed to do it because of the Levitical code, but then that was then and this is now. And so it was about the Jewish idiosyncrasies of the New Testament church. Um, And then the same thing for strangled things. Now, the, the first place I started doubting this is when I then I looked up the stuff on strangled things. And it is such a, a side show of Leviticus it is such a sideshow. It is so far off on the side of the sideshow that like, it doesn't even have a place in the bulletin. And somehow James, the just, wise of wise, the one whom even the Pharisees had to say, this man knows Torah, he thinks that's the most important thing for us to go look at as, as New Testament Christians who have no knowledge of the Hebrew, no real access to the Old Testament, no rabbis in our midst, but we're supposed to understand this part. We'll just know it off the top of our head that Panigo means that. I don't think so. And that's where I begin to say, well, maybe, maybe, maybe there's more going on here than meets the eye. And what did you know? Uh, there's there's a, a textual variant, a textual tradition from early in the church, uh, second century, I believe it is, that begins to translate blood as uh, as murder, as murder. Oh, it just gets really clear from there, I think. Um, so, so what is blood? If you look at blood in the Old Testament, you find blood doing a couple of things. Certainly, the life is in the blood, and that is important. But the bigger deal than even the life being in the blood is the shedding of blood, which always affects something called blood guilt. The shedding of blood, which affects blood guilt. So what is real, what is built into reality is that when you take into your own hands the ability to shed blood, you bring upon yourself death. Hey, go figure. Uh, And bringing upon yourself death, your conscience is plagued by the shadow of death. Now, Cain found this out real hard, real fast, but it kind of goes with us all the way. And while they were just eating plants, I'm sure it was different, but the sacrifices of the animals, they had to see it every time they sacrificed them, they didn't eat them. Now we eat them, we don't think any of them, the fact that we're killing them, except for the vegetarians who want to somehow live without killing anything, which is also impossible. So, so <laughs> you know, you have, you have this whole problem of us uh, trying to avoid the fact of blood guilt, that it's just there. And what, what the apostles are asking us to do is to recognize that because blood guilt is there, if you're a New Testament Christian, you're repenting of the evils of your present life, what is the kind of thing you should stop doing? Taking vengeance into your own hands, that's, that's, that's one. Again, committing adultery, that's one. Worshiping idols, that's when those are all really clear now, right? As opposed to like, don't eat this food. Where'd that come from? You're going to go to the Acts 15 passage, which is about how you're not supposed to be bound by laws that we don't understand. And you're going to say, be bound by laws that we don't understand. That is such a backwards argument, and that's her argument. That's why it's problematic. And why, again, I think blood guilt, just start looking for the Old Testament word blood somewhere other than Leviticus, and you'll find out that from Solomon's point on, blood's about murder. <laughs> blood's about the guilt of taking God's justice into your own hands. And then Panigo, the twisted things, Janice and Jambres, baby, Janice and Jambres. You figure out who those guys are, you'll know who the Panigo is. It's, it's very, very clear. So that, that, that's that one for now, I think. Um, 
da da da. Who we got pulling up? Oh, good. Okay. Well, that's great too. Then I'm like, wow, we got viewers again. Look at that. So, uh, did a blood, blood food, blood guilt, sorcery. I mean, look, if your conscience is bothered by eating blood in your steak, then cook it fully rare or cook it fully well done. You know, don't go against your conscience. The amount of blood in your steak isn't even. It's like it's like dyed water from like they keep it red by putting dye in it to get it to the store. Like your conscience is bound over stuff that just doesn't need to be bound over, right? Are you like slitting the neck of the goat and drinking the blood in orgy? Right. Well, don't do that. That that'd be bad, right? So so, but the idea that strictly, you know, what will she get infusions? Is she against infusions? Now this is an interesting topic, and I, I've definitely I've wrestled with this as I realize that like it is true. This is true that the appearance of blood, us seeing blood, is unnatural. We were not made to see blood. Oh, question being, and I'm pretty sure even that the, the special time of the month, mm, see, this is a sign of unclean, right? So uh, blood is not supposed to be what we shed, straight up. But you're not going to escape the shedding of blood. You can maybe not live by the sword. You know, that might start it a little bit. Um, but then when you get to things like infusions and all that, I mean, you're in the modern land of voodoo for sure. Uh, does that mean you can't do it? <laughs> let your conscience be your guide. I mean, at this point, if I needed the transfusion or I woke up from a car accident, they transfused me with somebody's blood. I'd say, thank you, Jesus for science. Yeah. Would I say that, you know, I, I have to make sure medicine works forever and otherwise we don't, we all live the same length and all have equal lives. Well, it's, yes, that's a religion I don't want to be part of. <laughs> right. So, so which is which you eat the meat bought in the marketplace. You can eat the meat bought in the marketplace. But like, if you find yourself bowing down with those who are bowing down in the marketplace to the meat, that's your problem, right? That's your problem. Um, why would Acts 15 bind your conscience? It's not supposed to. Their whole point is we're not going to bind you by something that we couldn't understand or carry ourselves. That her argument is, yes, you are. Well, there you go. There you go. Did I get through all the questions? Or is there more here? Um, I didn't read all this part. Mm, I kind of answered though. Let's see. So, so yeah, it's great that you both understand your salvation doesn't rest on it, but she seems to imply that it does because if in fact this is the word of God and you're not obeying it, you're unrepentant and she's telling you to repent and you're not repenting. And so, you know, her position that this is required makes it morally obligable and even damning. This is why it's so problematic and why the freedom of Acts 15 to be able to say, oh, no, 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 no. They're referring to blood guilt. Don't take on blood guilt. It doesn't feel good. It isn't good for your community. You know that abortion clinic down the street? Fire's coming someday, right? So don't take on blood guilt. That makes sense. That is biblical. That is New Testament. Um, you're not allowed to eat some food if it bleeds. That is everything that the Jews got mad at Jesus for not believing. Right there. I love you. I'm telling the truth. All right, here we go. Next one. All right. Riff Fisk, I am a divorced LCMS homeschool mom of two girls living on my family's farm which is such a fascinating combination of things. Wow. My parents have always been very supportive of us. That's great. Uh, putting a roof over our heads free of charge, which allows us to homeschool and live well on a very small monthly income. That's great. The girls have never attended regular school, and we've always used Abaca, the same conservative Baptist cur- curriculum as my mother homeschooled us with. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, my question is this. How horrible am I for considering letting my girls attend a Wells K-9 through instead Thank you for everything you do, love in Christ. How horrible are you? Why would well, sounds like there's more behind this question than I'm aware of? Is what I, what I got to say there? All right. So what do you want me to do? Say yes, you're horrible, or do you want me to say like do you want me to say it's a bad idea? Don't do it because you know that's why you're calling yourself horrible, just because it's a bad idea and you've got bad self talk as well. Or are you wanting me to say don't worry, it's not horrible. You should do it anyway. Right. So it seems like one of those answers you already know or want. 
right? I'm pretty sure it's the first one, but it could be the second one. And I want to kind of alleviate your conscience here a little bit and remind you that in a world as absolutely, excuse me, FUBAR as ours is, like you don't always get the best case scenario. You don't always get the ideal. And sometimes you do things that are not great because they're better than bad, right? So the question I have is why would you change? Like what's going wrong that elicits or solicits this change? Is it your own energy level? Is it your own a belief that you are failing at it and you need someone to do better? Uh, is it simply just... Um, a lack of endurance, you know, on the other side of those things, right? Where is it? Is it lack of trust? Is it a family dynamic issue wherein you feel guilt for what's happening where you are? If that's the case, I highly recommend getting all the cards on the table with your hosts as, as much as possible and bringing them into your concern that you are a weariness to them uh, in the hopes that, uh, that together uh, you'll be able to alleviate that, right? That you'll see that you are a blessing to them uh, and that they are glad to do what they're doing. If they're not, then it's understandable why you would feel this way, that you are pulled in two different directions, one in which you believe something should happen, but your support system doesn't actually support that. And so you're being pushed toward this other thing, which you're going to send them to a private school, which means you're going to have to go to work to get them more money to go pay for the private school, right? Like often that's how it works. Um, is that the goal? Is it because you just feel overwhelmed? Um, uh, what? Here, here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know that there is no influence in the world on a human being like the mother. No one has the capacity nor the time to so completely form with intention the heart and the mind and even the soul of a child. No one, much less the will to even try. Hmm? Nothing can compete with that. And if you've got the option to like do that your whole life and that's what you're made for, it seems like you know, a little less of this or that's probably worth it. That's what we think as a family. Yeah. That's what we do as a family. Uh, if you're going to send your kid to a school, I don't care what name's on the outside. I really don't care what name's on the outside. I care about what they actually do, what they actually teach. And more than anything, I care whether or not they understand that the great threat to us all right now is not theoretical. It's not going to be solved by more education. It's not going to be solved by trying harder, more pragmatism. The only solution we have to the next generation is repentance. Hard, fast, begging, pleading, psalmic repentance. Now the good news is that's such a good foundation that when it happens in a generation, like whatever went before that was going to crash, Wherever that is, it doesn't crash. Not the way it was going to. And more than that, when it sets down roots, it sets down long, hard, good roots. So you're not really in a bad place. You feel weak, but that's where the strength is because all you have is the magic seeds. You don't got a beanstalk. You don't got a giant to slay. You just got the magic seeds. And like you plant them and overnight they don't grow, right? So you're like, oh, they aren't magic seeds. No, 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 no. See, these magic seeds are different than the stories. These aren't like the stories. The stories are lies. The stories are false stories. They, they tell you about a world that isn't actually there. It could be there. It might be there. Sometimes it's there, but it's not, it's not always there. They paint a picture that can't be real. That's what makes the movies double time worse. Triple time compounding. They paint a picture that can't be real. The real thing is the, the seed, which is he has risen. You were paid for. You're immortal now. won't be long. Now that seed endures. That the psalmic prayers and the, and the, the, the proverbial wisdom 
which is in the mouth of Jesus. I mean, you start in the Psalms and the Proverbs, you're going to find out, oh, he's not saying don't read Jesus. Jesus is saying all this stuff all the time. Now you end up reading Jesus too. Go read him. Right? When, you, when you feast upon the bread that does not perish, uh, um, even if it doesn't feel like you're winning, the bread that does not perish is the promise that you are. And the enemy is the heart. The enemy is what you feel. The enemy is how you convince yourself that everything that you do isn't enough, that everything that you say has to be more, that if you don't, it won't. Hmm. Yeah, if-then theology, right? If-then theology. That's not Jesus. Jesus is not if-then. Jesus is because-therefore. Because-therefore. So whatever you're going to do, because-therefore on it, and get yourself to a school, if it's going to be a school, where they make no bones about because-therefore. And that means, you know, you know what they're singing, you know what they're teaching. Uh, you're, but this is just it. The moment you send someone to school, you're doing more work. <laughs> you really are. If you're going to do it right, because you have to spend so much time figuring out what they taught when you weren't there, it's a lot easier to teach them when you're there. You know, you, know, uh, it, it, you can't give your kids in a homeschool everything they get in, in the concentration camps, though. That's true. You cannot provide the club. You can't provide uh, the sports teams. You can't provide the musical environment. Some of those things are either just not going to happen or happen in a different way. I, I watched my. I, I struggle with this a little bit. Like I grew up in organized sports and I really enjoyed them a lot, and yet they also were definitely an idol, like forever, and maybe probably still are. So, um, I watched my kids yesterday play baseball. It's <laughs> great. It's friends over too. So, an older gentleman pitching the is is a tennis ball. They have a tennis ball, and they have like the handle of a broom. That they've found somewhere, and it's, it's not even a handleover. It's not that long, but it like looks like one. It's kind of a stick, and you know, all nine of them played baseball for thirty minutes with a stick and a tennis ball. And what I and I was actually out on a kayak ride, and and it was you know we got a little lake behind the house, so I can sit out there, and I was watching them all. I was watching the game, right? Oh, look, actual live game. Who needs TV, right? And well, look at home run. Look at that, right, right. And what what I thought about at that moment was a, a clip out of a movie called The Last of the Mohicans. Uh, would be some movie um, where they are playing in like this this old world village of colonial times. The kids are playing soccer, <laughs> and all they got is you know a ball. It's not even a good ball. And of course, you know this is an American game that comes out of South America and originally was a uh, enemy's head <laughs> used for soccer in the Aztecs. But yeah, that was that was fun. Um, but you know they're just playing soccer. Well, what is it? It's just a bunch of people chasing a ball around a field. They don't even know what they're doing. And we look at that and we're like, they don't even know what they're doing. Look at what we're doing, and we're like worshiping false gods and destroying ourselves and they were building a civilization that was going to last for hundreds of years so you feel me on that so like watching my kids play sports at home i i part of me has to be like are they missing something or are they actually getting something everyone else is missing yeah and so if you're going to send your kids to school because they're missing something just understand what they're going to miss in exchange and then remember that the law of inequivalent exchange is the, the one that tends to rule the universe uh, that is to say that uh, what the devil says you're going to get back is never what you actually get back. <laughs> what God says you're going to get back is always more than you imagined. Uh, oh, man, I could end a show on that one. That was, that was nice right there. So, so okay, are we ready for our next one here? Where are we at? Is all set? No. It's going to come. This is great. I will fight the flies. I said, as you will, and I stepped away for half a second. Stepped away for half a second. I oh, will leave that for another time. All right, next question. Oh, I got to wait still for that, though. So it's 
It's chilling, yeah. Yeah, the delay really is a thing. We'll get this fixed. Um, you know, some of you sent in some stuff to order. It'll happen. It's all time. Oh, my goodness. All right, there it comes. There it comes. So Steve says this. Uh, he says, just looking for an opinion about Christian music hymnals. I picked up a 1941 Trinity Lutheran hymnal book from my local... I don't know why I, I know about the 1941 Lutheran hymnal. I, Trinity, I've never heard of this. It, 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 maybe it's from a congregation that stamped it with its own name. That's really interesting. Um, local, local Lutheran thrift store last week for two bucks. What a deal. <laughs> uh, when I started to sing, the animals in the house leave the area. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what to make of that one, man. Uh, I, I guess I need some work in the vocal department. Can I just read them out loud? Yes. In fact, I suggest maybe just do that first, all y'all, before you even try, right? Like, you don't realize how awesome the poetry is. Like, you're so busy, like, listening to rap. Maybe you're not. But our world, like, the best poetry guys mostly rap, right? And rap is cool because they rhyme. They bust a rhyme. And they bust a rhyme in time, <laughs> on a dime, over and over again, right? And it's really neat. And, like, what do they call it? When the, when the rhymes get twisted, is that what they call it? I can't remember. Twisted? It's like, it's like, well, in order to rhyme, I have to change the topic really fast. And so since you can't keep up with how fast I change the topic in order to rhyme. It's your fault for, for not being as cool as I am as a poet, okay? So that, that's kind of the level of, of art we're in right now, right? So I, my art is to like make you lose track of what I said by rhyming too much so you have to rewind it and listen a couple times and realize that I'm really, really good at making sounds that sound the same, right? And so, I mean, I don't want to diminish all rap. There's some really great poetry out there in rap but it tends to be again uh, distracted by itself and unable to come to what you might call a golden mean or, or a clear presentation now there are songs where every verse is one clear line and all the way through you know exactly what they said and you want to shout along with them that does happen but it's rare now open your hymnal and see how that works out it's the same stuff you read a rap you read a hymn same stuff these guys were boss these guys knew how to bring it. And most of this is translation work. They were doing other languages. Then we got translators that did it for us too. You, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. You know, put on the beats, open your hymnal, and just try talking. See how that goes. Uh, you, you, <laughs> you'll be famous. Um, the, uh, uh, but in terms of at home then, right? Uh, the poetry alone. Take the time to let the words be. Huh? So when you sing the song, the melody compels you to move on. When you read it aloud poetically, you move on when it's time to move on. So, yeah, I highly recommend that even if you can sing and the angels and the birds and the bees all follow you, you still just read it out loud from time to time and and certainly uh, compress it with the Psalms. So, okay, so on that one then, uh, continuing, I also hear chatter about praise bands. What should I be aware of? I found a Christian album laying on the street 35 years ago and I still enjoy this one and only album, This Is Not A Dream by Pam Hall. Yeah, um, Frisbee got me an image of the cover of this album. That, That is that that's some gold right there. I imagine I'm curious about it too. And I will have to seek to remember, this is not a dream by Pam Hall and check it out. Yeah. So if you found, um, was it Bob Dylan's long train coming? Uh, Bob Dylan was a Christian for two albums and they're not bad. They really aren't. I, you know, what happened next is, is a story of its own. Right. Um, but when you find words that sing to you, the truth, don't like tell them they're wrong. You know, another song I've listened to a lot recently, uh, and I I, I tell you, on every level, it's elevator music. Like, on every level, for me, stylistically, I cannot abide what's going on in the song. 
Uh, but Is He Worthy by, oh, I don't know his last name, um, it's a call and response piece. And it's as cheesy as the day is long. But, but the, the, the reason I listen to it every day is not because of how it sings. It's because of what it sings. At the end of the day, I don't mind that it's cheesy because of what it sings. So, like, the folk of the song ceases to matter because the word of the song matters more than the folk. Yeah. And so when you're dealing with your private life, you have a lot of freedom there. This is a good thing. You have a lot of freedom to, to find the good in what you listen to. You also have an absolute requirement to reject the evil in what you listen to. And you will have a stomach at a certain point that can't stand it and just doesn't want to hear it anymore. And so, so there's that too, right? So where is that? And how does that you know, be dealt with in your zeitgeist, your context, what you're fighting right now? How much has any music become the enemy by itself? And, and how much is it really about the words you say are so important? Because if the words are so important that you hate everybody, well, then they're the wrong words, right? And so, so all of this is not as simple as either or. Uh, it is a recognition, however, that the, the devil doesn't sit still in his twisting of things. And just because you wrote it down on paper 500 years ago doesn't mean you believe it now because you point at that piece of paper and shout about it a lot. And if you're not going to sing what that paper confessed, or if when you do sing it, you don't believe it, and you're bored with it, and you're tired, and you can't wait to get rid of it, well, then again, I'm going to suggest it's not even your religion at a certain point. This is the repentance we all have to wrestle with. This is 2020's affliction. Yeah. Is it your religion? Or is the other one your religion? Which one? Well, it kind of matters to you a little bit more than me, right? I don't know which one yours is. I don't know which one mine is. Yeah. And so are you going to repent or not? Yeah. Are you going to stand up against it or not? And then, you know, what are the weapons of your warfare? And if you've got a song that you can listen to repeatedly, because not all songs are possible in that regard, for sure. If you've got a song that you can listen to repeatedly that tells you who you are in Jesus in unequivocal and orthodox terms, you play that thing. You play that thing loud. You wake up your neighbors and bother. Well, maybe not that part, but you, you play that thing. You play that thing, right? So uh, you, you enjoyed my book, Broken. Thank you. I'm enjoying the great read. I have Echo on my on tap. Echo's a better book. Uh, and thank you for all you do. And God bless your SM Chill cast. Sayeth the Steve. Thank you, Steve. Um, cages. That's another one I've been liking. I'll, I'll, I'll rewrote Cages. So, you know, half the time, it's like, I love what they're singing. And then, like, there's a line. And I'm like, it isn't even that the line's wrong. It's that the line could be so right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, why ain't it right? So I'll just sing it. I'll just change it. I'll just change it. You know, what What if I knew I couldn't lose because I'm justified? It's, it's so obvious. It's so there. Cages. Good song, except for that line that's missing. Um, are we ready? Is it up? Is it up? What's next? N. N comes along. A good day, Pastor Fisk. Mm-mm-mm. Is this our last one? No, I've got two more. Uh, greetings from Australia. My husband and I are recent converts in uh, to the Lutheran faith from a Reformed Presbyterian background. We are struggling with fellowship and connections within the Lutheran congregation. And what you mean here by fellowship is uh, is really like friendship, right? Uh, is is companionship. Uh, fellowship's a, a tricksy word here because uh, the, the flow of fellowship in the Bible is from the Lord's Supper to us. So like anywhere that there is the Lord's Supper ever, you're not having a problem with fellowship in the sense of, you have fellowship. The question is whether or not you believe it <laughs> or whether you just think this is something you do and y'all like don't know each other or care anymore because you got better lives somewhere else. Well, again, that, that is a struggle in a lot of places, not just Lutheran churches. So you go on, we are homeschoolers who love the Lord and are overjoyed at the treasure we have found within Lutheranism. You mean in our paper works, right? Uh, not so much in the ism so much as in the confessions. Yeah. Um, 
Unfortunately, we are yet to find people that share the same ideas regarding catechesis and Christian living. Right? So you come to Lutheran Church because of the Lutheran teaching, and you find out that there aren't any Lutherans in the Lutheran Church, except they all say that they are, but none of them believe the stuff that you thought that's what you were coming for. And you're like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah, it's... I, I, apostasy, lukewarmness, uh, a slow boil for a lot of us. It's not just the Lutherans, right? Um, so, uh, just last week we had a family tell us they have never opened the book of Concord. Like, not surprising. I mean, really, that one shouldn't surprise you. Um, never opened the small catechism if they'd never heard of the small catechism. Like, that really is the piece that holds the network together, and they've usually been exposed to the small catechism enough to not like it, and that shows you that they weren't really exposed to it at all. They were kind of tortured with the need to memorize and be tested on it, and it seems to them to be like a rite of passage that is well over and done with and only needs to be done to their children because they had to do it themselves. And I don't understand any of that, honestly. Um, I was born into it. I've been through it. I, I, I do not. I've been forced to teach in that way. I do not understand um, why we go about it that way. Um, I, but at the same time, I know that the, the same problem we had earlier, I was talking about where like people don't want to read their Bible. Well, like that's why you don't like the small catechism. It's because it's just kind of the Bible distilled to really, really clear. You're like, well, I already know this stuff. Yeah, yeah, but you don't do it. <laughs> you know, to try saying it, you'll find out how little you do it, right? In fact, you already know it. Well, it, the Lord's Prayer, if you know it, did, did you say it today? Then you don't really know it, do you? Because if you knew it, you'd say it. Because he said, you know, pray like this. Yeah. So, so it's it's just not as simple as I opened the book. But the Book of Concord, as a as a document, is rightly understood to be the constitution of your local Lutheran congregation. And then I know they all have a constitution for the U.S. government's nonprofit status thing too. So they all have one of those. But in it, they always point you to the Book of Concord. So the Book of Concord, please see it as the constitution of your congregation, which means that not everyone needs to know it. Not everyone needs to read it, just those people who make the big decisions about what we're going to do as a group, which, frankly, if you're not interested in knowing, it's a lot easier to not have to go to meetings. It's a lot easier just to enjoy being along for the ride and doing something else. So if you don't want to know, you're not into the legalese, like go read the Psalms and pray for the life of the church and talk to your neighbor across the fence about how Jesus saved your life, right? Uh, do that instead. And then we'll, we'll, let, um, we'll let the theology... Hey, how you doing? So, uh, da 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 you're, you're getting a live example of how whenever I am interrupted, I have like I have this moment. This is part of my my particular torment um, that the the split that occurs in CPTSD is you kind of lose everything and you forget where you not where you were but what you felt. It generally, it will bring like whatever sentence I was saying is now so far removed from what I think. Like I have no idea what I was talking about. That's all good. It's such a strange thing though to have that happen with. Um, it happens with regularity, and I'm having to learn to like okay. That's that's not something that's going to stop. I just have to walk my way back through it. So, um, yeah. And in that regard, you know, you get there eventually. The question will be, can I get there? I'll go back to the Book of Concord. There you go. Um, so uh, it's it's what you need as leadership. Um, the small catechism is what you need to know. But the other thing is like, which is more important to know what the small catechism says because it's the truth of the Bible, or to know what the small catechism says because it's the small catechism. And you might think, oh, there's no difference. Well, if you th- if you think that, then I think you should ponder what I said more, because I, there's there's a way in which we've we've abrogated the job of Bible teaching to the job of of small catechism, and there's the the lack of the story is the problem, right? Uh, the Bible is given to us to be a story that's about us, 
not just us. It's about Jesus, right? It's about Jesus gravitationally pulling all of us to himself. And when you come into it from just a, here's a didactic, theoretical set of ideas about how things operate, while accessible to someone who's literate and thinking and all these things, well, not everyone is that, especially these days, right? As opposed to the story of the man who died is never going to die again, and how the water and word he sends through time and space that just hits your face, how that's going to make you never die again. Totally different kind of way of talking, right? So it's not that that's different than the small catechism. It's what the small catechism says. But, all right, so to find somebody in a Lutheran church that just hasn't been exposed to this in, in the way you're wanting is not surprising. Uh, it is it is the norm, and it's why Lutherans are no better off than any other Christians in the zeitgeist, because all of us are just being led by the nose by the age, right? Again, 2020 was the wake-up call, and many of us are wanting to wake up and realizing it's just not that easy because, you know, the, the power of the media, the gaslight is turned up to 11, and, and it, it is a mind-washing, brainwashing device. Think back to, like, Obama. Think to Obama for just one moment and how when Obama ran for office, he ran on marriage. He ran on believing in the sacredness of marriage. Uh, when Obama ran for a second term, he ran on the homosexual agenda. Everybody was cool with it. I mean, not everyone was cool. People were like, oh, that's bad. He put the stuff up. Oh, wine, wine. But then we kind of thought it wasn't going to stop, right? But it just kept going. And, and the thing is that while like, what, 15, 30, 45% of us, who knows what the real numbers are, are like, this is bad. There's a lot of people who are like, whatever they tell us, we should do because they know better than us. And so um, in that context, the fight here isn't to have everybody be able to open the Book of Concord and know how to confess Lutheranism as it was done you know, 500 years ago. The point here is that the spirit that engendered the men to stand in the zeitgeist they were in and come up with the Book of Concord shall engender us to fight back in the same way, not with a different truth. Not with a different truth, but by no means insisting on old wineskins. Now, again, what do I mean? Is the Book of Concord old wineskin? If you take that and you take it to mean that I'm throwing it out, you're wrong. What I mean is, again, that if you're looking for everyone to be a legal scholar in your congregation, you're not going to be able to reach the people who are hurting and starving for the gospel right now. So as a family, see yourselves as something of an elite within your congregation. Rather than despair of your situation in which you're like, none of the Lutherans understand their own thing, realize that you are here to be leaders of the next era of that place. And you're going to do it less by telling people how they should be more like you and more just by being weird. You're just not going to fit there because you embrace why that place is there. And even though everybody else has been there for a long time and thinks they own it, they don't know why it's there, which means that their kids won't be there. But see, yours will. Yeah. And so embrace the weirdness and assume that over time, more people like you will show up because you're going to pray for that because you want that altar to be a place where your children and their children come for the same baptism and supper. It's in forgetting that and trying to build these places by ourselves that we do the most damage. Oh, I just had that card in front of me and I put it away this morning. David Scare, one of the wisest things I ever heard. It is always the desire to get ahead that destroys the church, right? So, so you're struggling for wanting to have friendship in a place where you are pioneers, yeah? And, well, pioneers can't afford to have as many friends as the people in the city. Uh, well, do you want to go back to the city? 
right? The, you can. The mega church is the city at this point, usually, right? Um, you're, you're trying to go to a neighborhood of Babylon and rally a tribe around the truth that officially is taught there, even though some rabble have decided to just sit back, put their feet up. Don't hate the rabble. They're your first mission. They're your first mission. Yeah? And then how you care for them with love as opposed to with radically ragey orthodoxy. Ragey orthodoxy don't help nobody. <laughs> yeah, You need charity in the orthodoxy. You need to wisdom them in. Right, Show them your face shine with the glory of your knowledge of salvation and the certainty that you have that even what they do, which is foolish, doesn't even disturb you that much because you know what wisdom is. Yeah. So you go on and you say, we came from a vibrant Presbyterian church who supposed each other in a, supported each other in our Christian walks and haven't yet been able to find that in the Lutheran church. Yes, isn't that sad? You've got to build it. You've got to build it. That's, that's all there is to it. How important is Christian fellowship to your faith? Incredibly so, but it's one you've got to pray for and build. Now, remember, your family is the first place too. And then uh, pray for, pray for. Uh, you know, I, personally, as a pastor who has been sent into multiple congregations, not all of them in the same scenario, but enough of them in, a, in like a do or die turnaround, we need more people situation. Too many of those situations out there. Um, what I learned most of all is this. Like if I'm disappointed with something at church, if it's not living up to my expectations of what I thought that parish should be, the antidote's the Psalms. <laughs> the antidotes the Psalms and getting everybody else to pray them too and then believe with all firm conviction that your seed will be watered by Jesus that your request for the Holy Spirit will be poured out that your desire to not be alone in the faith will in fact be the prayer for the workers in the harvest to raise up or really harvest the fields that are there, right? Um, so it's, it is about being pioneers. It is about being tillers of the soil. You know, talk to your pastor. Um, and just express, you know, your your hunger and your longing and, and see what he says about it, you know? Um, da, 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 uh, is it something worth moving to churches to find? There's a small Lutheran synod near us with about 10 members. Uh, no children, though, which we have. I believe it's in fellowship with the Wells. Well, it is worth moving to a church where you love going to church, how do you find a church that you love going to church? I wouldn't um, just kind of move right away, especially if it's a small congregation. The tendency of small Lutheran congregations with just a few members right now is to be what you've found in this other congregation, right? Uh, a, a cultural enclave of people in which there will definitely be some Christians, but the the desire to sort of see the distinction and stand separate from the zeitgeist, probably not just at the top of the noise at the moment. Um, so, you know, I mean, check it out, call a pastor, talk to your pastor where you are, ask the questions. But I'll tell you, if you come to my church, if you come to my church and you want us to make friends for you, it won't happen. Uh, if you come to my church and you hang out and you realize that the person sitting next to you who you don't like is the one God sent you to be a friend to today, well, then you get to practice Christianity, right? And you get to be not just someone who is there to be fed, but someone who is there to feed others because the mutual consolation of the brethren, which is indeed what Christians historically do with each other. We don't. We're too busy talking about the news, uh, but everybody else was talking about Jesus after church. Uh, we're too busy talking about, about the news. So, um, you know, what, what can I say? How, how do you make it happen? You don't make it happen. Should you have left the other church? Well, you left for orthodoxy. You left for orthodox reasons. You left for the truth of the scriptures. Should you have stayed and tried to make them repent? It's that kind of what should we do? What should we have done is, is the crapshoot of second guessing your entire life. There is nothing that you go through that Jesus is not using to purify you unto salvation. 
And this walk out of what was easy into what is hard is exactly what he promises the devoted disciple. And he promises that what is hard, the narrow way, the the seed that is scattered while you weep will bring fruit on the day, right? So what, what that means for now, again, is your children are watching you make hard decisions. Your children are watching you suffer. They're watching you say, we're going somewhere we don't even like to go because it's true and where we like to go is easy and false. You don't think that's going to have an effect on them? It will. You think you have someone to talk to the word, talk to about the word, you know, to be support. Well, now you got to turn inside a little more, right? Go to each other. Go to the family. Um, have you found the Mad Christian Network, by the way? Us the Chill on the Discord. Uh, get yourself a Discord app. Search for Us the Chill and ask for to be part of our group there, because you will find some overlap there. And then maybe because there are localities, uh, you know, channels for talking with people in, in sections of the country, um, you might be able to like reach out and meet some people who could in fact become friends, right? Uh, even though they're maybe a little further away than just, just uh, going to the same church that you do. Um, so fellowship with the wells. I mean, at this point in time, if you got a, a pastor who's preaching you the word of God uh, and particularly confesses the confessions at all, like, like, yeah, that's fine. That's wells, right? That's LCMS. Oh, it depends in both cases. It's not always as clear-cut as the brand, there is no such thing as a real brand control when you're dealing with volunteer organizations. Oh, that's another topic for another time. Yeehaw, yeehaw. Thank you for the question. We got one more, right? Two more? Two more. All right. Mark of the Beast coming up. Oh, my. Oh, my. Did you just throw that one in? Yeah, thank you. It makes me tired to talk about all this pain. <laughs> uh, it does. It wears. It wears. And like, um, our hearts are pining, are they not? Uh, they're pining for unity. They're pining for the spirit to be present in our midst. And the, I think a primary thing preventing us is, is again, the thing that would do this most, more Bible reading, more Psalm praying, uh, is the hardest thing to do because we don't have time for it because of all the things that are here to save us time and make life easier. And again, th- that, that alone to me is the, the million dollar question. <laughs> how is it that everything that was supposed to make life easier made it so I don't pray the Bible anymore? Um, how is that good for us and why are we taking it sitting down? No. Uh, Andrew says this, hey pastor, I was curious if it is known what the mark of the beast is technically. I have seen some stuff about those believing the vaccine mask situation being called that, though I personally don't believe this to be the case. I am sure it is, as with most things in Revelation, that is taken out of context. Thanks for your thoughts, Andrew. So yeah, Revelation is a fantastically interesting book in which you have a fractal reality that is specifically defined to the first century persecution of Christians in seven very specific churches that helps to demonstrate the way the devil ploys throughout all of history so that these things kind of are always there and never go away. But that means that to say that the mark of the beast, originally shown to be the name of Nero Caesar, a persecutor who had already come, but was similar to Diocletian, who would come shortly thereafter to the regions in which John was writing, and in which he warns them from Patmos, under prison, using Hebrew numeration through Greek, like like hidden messages, tells them that Caesar's persecution is coming their way, and that in their various churches, as the letters say, they need to repent in various ways to prepare themselves which for what's going to be a fire and a testing. 
And the rest of the book is about how no matter what that fire and the testing looks like, it always takes on certain certain archetypes, certain types of things it will try to do. The demons are not creative. They repeat themselves. And that also very clearly they have no chance against Jesus because the rider on the right horse just absolutely kicks and wallops and rocks it. Right? The monsters don't stand a chance. So the mark of the beast is there to show you how the government is going to attempt to compel you to worship it as religion by putting some sort of visible sign on you that at times and in places will prevent you from buying or selling. By all means, the mass fits that mold. But does that mean that if you put on a mass here for you worship the devil? Nah, a little different, a little different. Could there be a time where that's the case? Yeah, it could be, really could be. It'll be the case when you have to decide between doing something you think is evil and wearing the mask. Currently, mostly, you just don't like wearing the mask, right? But when it's actually like doing evil, right? So for those of us who don't want vaccines, we've like been convinced the vaccine's a bad idea. And they're going to say, you have to have the vaccine. And they're going to say, you have to wear the mask if you don't wear the vaccine. And you're, they're going to say that you can't buy and sell and trade because of your religion because you won't wear a mask or the vaccine, right? Because you don't think the masks are true. You think they're lies, which is what I think. And then, um, and then you, you don't think the vaccine is true. You think it's a lie. So you're going to be forced to believe a lie on two levels by the government. Otherwise, you can't have your food. Okay, that, that fits. That fits. Huh? But to say that that's the end of the world, no. No, the fractal reality of typology, the symbols, the symbols are universal and they always arise and express themselves. So you can find that there's a mark of the beast in your day to day. There's something without which you can't buy, sell or trade that you put all of your trust into. There's a way that you can find you confessing to yourself your own sin. I can almost guarantee it to you. Yeah, I can, I go, I can guarantee it to you. But does it really help you to call it the mark of the beast? No, no. What helps is to see that the devil is not creative, that the attacks and the ploys are always the same. Uh, that the government and that the organized religious existence tend to, over time, formulate power plays to try to repress the church, and that what this, while this uses the uh, the the greedy hearts of men and lies to do this, it is empowered by demonic forces who don't really have a plan. Right, so you say they're like, it doesn't make sense why our leadership at the top of the world would do this. It's going to lead to destruction. Well, because the humans are doing it for selfish reasons and the demons are doing it for not good reasons, right? For breaking things reasons. And so, so you know, learning to spot that is going to be by understanding where people put their worship. And the book of Revelation does help you, you know, categorize that as a, as a battle, as, as a, a landscape, as a story that you're in the middle of, right? Wherein you are the child born of woman and carried away to be hidden, the ascended Christ, and that the woman both before and after in the wilderness is cared for, that's the church, right? So, so that you're in that and that the mark of the beast, which is how the unbelieving pagans will signal to themselves that they don't believe what you're saying, that's something to just always be aware of out, that it's out there. But you have something on you that is better than the mark of the beast. You have the mark of Christ. You know, Ezekiel talks about this. Um, it's mentioned in other places very clearly. The holy baptism kind of is this. It's hard to have it not be this. But the idea, uh, going from Ezekiel again, is that uh, in, in Jerusalem, following the first kind of capture before the final destruction of it uh, during the, the diaspora, the exile. Uh, God showed Ezekiel that in Jerusalem there were horrible, horrible things going on, the worship of demons and whatnot, and yet there were some who had a mark on their forehead so that when the wrath came, they would be protected from it. And the mark on their forehead is the letter T, Tau. Uh, it is a symbol for the cross 
quite directly and always so, and it's upon the foreheads of those in Israel. Now, the fact that now, uh, in Christ, baptized into the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are crucified and raised with him, and the church realized right away, oh yeah, this means the mark of the Holy Cross has been put upon you. What this means is that while there is a mark of the beast, that is, the government that wants you to believe it's a religion, and that will use false religion to try to convince you through adulterous means to worship it as, as well, while that is a thing, you have the mark of Christ upon you, washing you and marking you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified, so that you can stand against it. That you know that that mark, the book of life, is stronger than the marks against you in the books of good and evil, of all the things that you have done. Does that mean that you're free to go to evil? That you can just go give up on anything and never have to worry about it? No, why? No, 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 no. You're missing the entire point, right? If you go that direction, you just aren't listening. But do you need to worry about the mark of the beast on a day-in, day-out basis? No, no, no. Not unless it's a really helpful category for repenting of whatever you think was your sin today. Wherever did you find your sin today, that was the mark of the beast for you today. Where did you find it where you couldn't say no to your temptation? That was the mark of the beast for you today. What's it for? To show you where you need to repent. To show you where the religion falsely is working in your life. Is it something you'll avoid so you can always be free and safe? No, there's no free and safe. There's free and walking toward the tomb together certain that we're in Christ, right? And that, again, is the mark of Christ upon you, the confidence that you're elected. You're elected. You're chosen. It's not up to you. It's up to him. Get up and walk. Yeah, get up and walk. So, Revelation, what a marvelous uh, book this one is. We can move on to the next next question. Um, you can go and you can search for it down in the videos below. I've done a lot of work on Revelation uh, in previous years. I never really got through the whole book in any of those series, but can, can start to open up some of that symbolism for you. There's so much there. And certainly... Because Revelation is a, what do you call it, uh, can be taken out of context, it's pretty important that you don't start there, right? So so whatever you're going to teach from the Bible, you really want it to say it more than once. You want it to be really clear because one time of any sentence, you can misunderstand, especially when it's been translated from a foreign language you know nothing about. And so the more you have sentences that say the same thing, the more certain you can be that you're understanding it rightly. And Revelation, by definition, makes that very difficult. You have to know the whole Old Testament canon, particularly the prophets, in great Hebraic detail. And, you know, most people don't have that. And so you end up just doing a bunch of nonsense with the stories. Um, yeah, be careful is the point there, right? Be careful. All right, last question for the morning. Kay says this. Many thanks. I'm looking for a standalone Psalter that is not ESV since I now have begun to read the Psalms daily. God bless you. It works. It's good. It's power. Um, I see that there is a new Coverdale Psalter available from Anglican sources. Uh, is the Coverdale translation accurate? I got no clue. I got no clue on this one. I cannot answer that one for you. I read the Coverdale was influenced by Luther's Bible translation along with Tyndale's. That means it's probably not terrible. And, and honestly, anything from that era will be fascinating. It's not going to like lead you astray, I don't think, right? Uh, not directly. I mean, We've gone as a family with the New King James because it's simple and has a very strong pedigree and in theory will not change. Okay, So something to know about the ESV particularly is that the ESV does not stay the same. The ESV as an English Bible changes and they don't tell you when they do it. On their website, they'll update it whenever they decide to update it. On the printings, they'll just change it in the next printing. So that means if you're buying ESVs over the next 10 years and you buy different ones, you're going to end up with different Bibles. They're not going to tell you about this. They're just going to do it. You know where they're doing it most? Wouldn't you know? Isn't it gender stuff? Yeah, and it has been from the beginning of the ESV. So the question of, but aren't Lutherans into the ESV? Well, the LCMS and conventions certainly did vote to use the ESV rather than the NIV at the recommendation of certain 
vested, politically powerful people who believed that this would be good for us, some of whom were a part of advertisements and whatnot for the ESV. So why and how, and I don't know, but it would seem to me at this point that trying to stick with the ESV is sticking with the moving target. Seems like a bad idea. Coverdale, it's a one-time thing, right? It's old language. It'll be beautiful. Um, and you're just looking for the Psalter to read every day. Uh, my encouragement is get the Psalter you're going to read every day, read it every day, and then start making notes on it. Help yourself understand it. If you find another translation that is clearly better because it's true and you've run this by your pastor, right? And this one's not right. Cross it out and write in the better one that helps you remember more clearly. The translations are not inspired and without error and neither are they without babble. The language tends to break down and this happens fractally again. This happens locally, proximately. This happens in your folk, right? So where the folk don't know the language, you either need to teach yourself the language, it's a good option, or again, you can change it. And when you find out that the language is simply wrong. So for example, those who keep Torah fight back against the wicked, Psalm 28.4. Well, keep, it's the word here, Shema. It's one of the biggest words in Hebrew. It always means to listen to God. Why would we change it and say keep? Well, that's what they did. But if you want to cross out keep and write here, there in your English, like you should feel free to do that, right? That's not, that's not sin. That's hungering for the pure font. Yeah? So Coverdale, I mean, I don't know. I can't tell you it's a pure font, but it certainly sounds like it's in a category where it's worth exploring. And I'd love to hear what you say to us after you experience it, if you go ahead and you purchase that thing. In fact, um, if it's a pure Psalter and it's a nice looking book, I'd be curious to see what it looks like. If you want to send a link of whatever you order or we're going to order through redfist.com slash contact, um, I'd be, be curious to look at what you're looking at there. So that brings us, uh, goodness, to the end of it. Are we at time? We're past time. We made it. In spite of all the hurdles this morning, um, it, <laughs> you're still here with us. Glad to be alive in Jesus. Ah, how hard it is to stop when you're in the haste, right? You're in the pressure. You're in the moment. You're in the zeal, whatever it is. And it, it distracts you. And you think, I've got to. It's so hard. Uh, the beautiful thing is that it's not up to you to stop so that God will talk to you. It's not up to you to look up enough so that you'll be looking for Jesus. It's not up for you to purify your heart so you may see God. Those are the things he has promised you. Those are the things that Christ died to ensure everybody is freely given. The only ones who don't have it don't want it. And since you want it, you may be resting assured that the Holy Spirit will be given to you in every portion you ask for, that he'll be poured out because you have asked And then that means you're going to be reading your Bible a lot more (laughs) because that's where it happens, my friends. That's where it happens. Mad Christianity, we're going to take this planet back by storm because we're going to stop watching all the nonsense and start listening to what Christ our Lord says. And as that Holy Spirit reforms us in his image so that we stand firm and unshaken in this daunted and wicked and cowardly age, we will not wallow in the muck with all those, those wicked pagans out there, but we're going to lift up our heads and all the more as we see the day approaching. God bless the flies. Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?